WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 305. The view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 865 in the Hilton Recording Studios in downtown Chicago, Illinois. In today's episode, aviation news, your feedback, and the latest Plain Tales installment, Talk to Me. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. Flight 305 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. I'm Captain Jeff, a captain for a major U.S. legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And so happy to be back after our Christmas break. We missed you. We hope that you missed us. And it's the first show, the first show of the year 2018. And joining us from our beautiful lakeside estate in South Carolina, doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA, connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. So nice to see you again. It's been a little while. It has. Yeah. Looking and you were just to... you were just in the, uh, my neighborhood uh, not too I long would. ago. We didn't uh, didn't get to connect, unfortunately. Uh, that's all right. We'll talk about that some more later. But okay. good to be back and uh, good to see all you guys. Great to see you. And from his sprawling country estate southwest of London, a professional photographer, a former RAF RAAF fighter pilot currently a captain for a an international airline based in london captain nick anderson well hi there jeff and uh, hi steph hi uh, dana i know it's gonna be on this thing lovely to be back on the show great to see you guys uh, miss you over christmas uh, you've been all very busy i've been at home with a nasty cold and just about survived the battering uh, of the strong winds the uk has been hit with the last few days uh, my sprawling estate has now sprawled all over the garden, I think. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, more of that later, I'm sure. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear that. And also joining us from his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, bourbon connoisseur, motorcycle riding pilot for a major U.S. legacy carrier, soon to be Captain Dana. Happy New Year, everybody. Great to be back. Another fantastic show. Episode of APG 305. Good to see you, Nick. Good to see you, Steph. And, of course, Captain Jeff. Always great to be back. So looking forward to another fantastic evening, catching up a little bit, and uh, having a fun evening. There he goes again, making huge assumptions. He says it's going to be a fantastic show. Of course. Oh, good. That's a good assumption. Because you're here. Ah, <laughs> jocularity it's 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 actually because we have dr steph to keep yeah, us entertained that's true you know how that goes mm-hmm. yeah hey so um 
it, 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 I missed the APG community, the, uh, the listeners and, um, this whole show thing that we do every week. Uh, we decided to uh, do a rare thing and take the week off last week. Uh, both Dr. Steph and Captain Nick were a little under the weather and, uh, Dana was busy. I think you were out of town and, or you no, actually you had already gone out of town. Then you were coming back and you were already on a trip and that wasn't really working out for the times. And I was kind of busy at home myself. And I thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity for us just to say, you know what, we're going to take the week off between Christmas and new year's. And so here we are. And, uh, I'm glad to be back and, uh, we're going to catch up with everybody here and see what everybody's been doing. Uh, let's see. How about ladies first? Um, Dr. Steph, um, how was your Christmas and after Christmas and more, most importantly, my birthday and, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and, uh, new year's. Oh, your that. birthday. I'll tell you about the day that was your birthday. Oh, was it but not was, good? <laughs> it was not good. Oh. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. That, right. that was a Tuesday, right? The day after. Uh, yeah, it was the day, day after Christmas. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's back up. So actually, yeah. um, yeah, going all the way back, we did the, big holiday extravaganza podcast with the oh, UK right. guys and everyone that was, I think on Thursday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. and we were even joking a little bit about, it. I was like, yeah, no, I feel great. Perfectly fine. Well, should not have said that because the next morning woke up and did not feel so great. Kind of sore throat, went to the gym in the morning and decided, yeah, you know, I just, I don't feel well. I'm probably not worthwhile going into work and spreading germs around. Um, so I didn't go to the, the clinic in that morning, but actually started to feel a whole lot better throughout the day. And I had plans to go visit with friends in Tennessee for, for Christmas. So, uh, you know, as the weekend progressed, I was feeling well enough to go do that. So I saw them on Christmas Day and then came back home, was looking forward to going to work on Tuesday and actually went over to my neighbor's house uh, Christmas night because I hadn't seen them for a while. And we opened a bottle of wine, shared that, just had some cookies and talked for a while. Came back home, went to bed, woke up at two o'clock in the morning and threw up. Like, and then proceed to do that for the next, uh, the rest of the evening, basically every hour on the hour was up. Wow. Yeah. It was not good. In fact, I can't remember the last time I was sick to the point of throwing up. It was not, not I remember the last time it was for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not that long ago. (laughs) It was not fun. Me me too. Uh, (laughs) I think all of us. Yeah. It it was Uh, not good. It was not fun. I've had a cough, but oh, and that's you. that's the worst of it for you, huh? Yeah, that's it. But anyway, Tuesday was was the worst. I felt horrible that day. I just I, I didn't dare to eat anything because I wasn't sure it was going to stay down. I was just tired. Um, I spent most of the afternoon just in bed, uh, fevers and chills. It was just not good. So managed to struggle through the rest of the week. Finally, was feeling a little bit better by the end of the week, um, which brings us to New Year's. And as Jeff alluded to, um, Justice and I went over to Atlanta for uh, the weekend and we saw the uh, Panthers Falcons uh, NFL game on Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, New Year's Eve, which did not go well for the Panthers, but gorgeous new stadium there in uh, Atlanta. But, you know, you guys had already kind of clinched the. the yeah, playoff I, spot, that's what right? everyone says, but you know, it would have still been nice. And to, it would have, yeah, if you beat us, then the Falcons yeah, would just, be completely out. So, no, they wouldn't. They could have still gotten in. Really? Oh, I thought that was their last chance. I thought they had to win yeah. every game. No, oh. no, there were other ways for it to work out, but oh, okay. Um, 
Yeah. Well, so, then I'm sorry. Nice, I'm sorry nice. that we beat you then. Sorry. <laughs> it was a nice uh, event, oh. fun time. And despite the fact that we were both still kind of sick, we had a fairly enjoyable uh, weekend in Atlanta. We met, we survived the cold and it's still cold. So yeah, brings me to today and I'm still a little sniffly. So if you'll forgive me for that sometimes, um, but much, much better. Good. Feeling much better. Glad you're feeling better. So you got a chance to uh, be with family and friends over the holidays and uh, that's always a nice thing. Yes, absolutely. All right. Great. Um, let's see. Let's go across the pond with uh, Captain Nick. How, uh, uh, how were your holidays, sir? Uh, well, they were spoiled, I'm afraid, by this miserable, but any cold, this virus that's going around. I had caught it uh, about midway through December, perhaps a little earlier than that. And it wiped me out for the whole of Christmas uh, and Julie, uh, my wife. So uh, not good for either of us. We've just been coughing and spluttering and, uh, you know, not been able to do much at all. So I'm afraid Christmas Day was, yeah, we were just kind of okay. But, uh, you know, as soon as we could, we were back in bed feeling miserable. And uh, I have only just recently, the last couple of days, started to feel vaguely okay. And I'm still really not quite there if I try and clear my ears. Ow. Yeah. They, uh, oh, let's, they still click. Oh, let's go. don't do it on the show. We don't want to see all oh. the blood coming out of your ear. No, I don't. Oh, yeah. They make a horrible clacking noise. And uh, they're really sticky. So uh, if I need um, – the good thing is – it's not really a good thing, but good thing is that I've actually um, now – uh, run out of currency on my uh, line check. Uh, one of those, you know, many checks we have to perform at regular intervals. Um, so I'm grounded until they can find a training captain to fly with me. So I should right now be uh, in New York. I'm not. I'm at home. Uh, and my next scheduled trip is uh, next week. So I've got, you know, several days now to uh, uh, see if I can recover more fully. But I'm still taking uh, the pills to try and dry this all up so I can fly properly. Not good. Yeah, well, at least you're feeling a, a little bit better. That's that's always a good yes, thing. Yes, I'm still on water. I did try, you know, the odd glass of wine over Christmas, and it felt horrible. It <laughs> just made me feel really ill. So, yeah. You know what the worst part of this being sick What's was? That? Beer didn't even taste good. Yeah, I, I know. Would try I to drink beer, and it just is like, yep. ugh. I mean, we so, ate I'm Christmas dinner, and Julia's a great uh, cook, um, but I couldn't taste a thing. And it was, you know... Uh, the taste bubs white wiped out. I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It's been and it's gone on for ages and mm. ages and ages. I think a lot of the folks in the, our community are suffering from the same kind of long drawn out sickness that yep. just won't well, leave. If you are, I have huge sympathy for you. It's really miserable. Well, as I said, I'm glad that you're feeling better. Hopefully, you'll get your um, currency back soon and uh, be back in the air, scaring uh, humanity. From east to west. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> uh, let's see. Speaking of that, Captain Dana has been uh, out uh, flying the uh, the airwaves, or not the airwaves, the skies. Um, tell us about your holiday, Dana. Well, you know, it was uh, uneventful. Got to go up to the Boston area and celebrate the holiday not working. Um, so it was very enjoyable. Fortunately, I was not sick, although I still have that cough that everybody else has still uh, lingering in my chest, that uh, chest problem. I'm not sure whether it's ribs or soft tissue, but that seems to be lingering on. Anytime I sneeze and or cough, it's like 
having a uh, knife stuck through my left chest. Mm. But other than that, it's, uh, you know, we can get over that. I can um, you know, just deal with those little things because I have a vacation that, uh, well, I've been on vacation since the 28th of December. Had a fantastic uh, New Year's Eve party, which, of course, uh, most of the APG <laughs> people that I know here in Atlanta were invited to, but only two showed up. Oh, John and his wife, Shirley. Bretched, they showed up, and John came bearing some gifts. Uh, old approach plate from 1946 into Atlanta, and wow. a uh, old airport chart, which you may or may not be able to see here from 1946 as well, with all the handwritten notes down here as to all the different uh, things going on there at the airport. I find it quite interesting on this chart that. Uh, it's in kilohertz. It's two sixty-six kilohertz is the approach frequency, um, and it's it's basically a, a DD deep or DD uh, you know A or an N um, for whether you're on course or off course, whether you're left or right. Wow! So it, it's it was quite interesting, and I'm actually going to bring this into work, and when we're briefing approaches, go ahead and pull this out, start <laughs> briefing. I think it'll be fun. Make especially copies for everyone. Later. Here, I made us yeah. some copies for you so you can follow along. Exactly. Because yeah. so I, I want you to know exactly how good you have it in today's exactly. world. It's unbelievable what we have today. So, wow. um, you know, it was a, it was a great holiday. Uh, thank you to uh, John for bringing that. And he brought me some, some other nice gifts, um, a little bit of chocolate. Of course, that didn't survive very long. Some uh, dreidels and uh, some uh, Hanukkah cards sent out next year. And I better buy those stamps this year before the price of the stamps go up, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, uh, today was an interesting day. I kind of alluded to that earlier in my text as we we're discussing our plans this evening for the show. For the show, um, AT and T was out here today. Oh yay! Fiber, yay. fiber. Guess, guess, guess what? Of course, I'm having fiber. This is my second try to have them come out and, and turn on this fiber. And the guy showed up, and he never knocked on my door. I went outside and said, hey, what's going on? He says, well, you know, it's not your lucky day. I said, why not? He says, because out of everybody in the neighborhood, there are only two houses that are not properly set up in the junction box, which isn't the one in my front yard that's going <laughs> to be able to get fiber to the house so they they dug up your front yard to put the box in but you can't get it i can't get it as of right now no because <laughs> the idiots that put it in all put all these you know, underneath the uh the the uh, in dug it into the ground and dug up everybody's yard they failed to put the proper i forget what the verbiage is the proper um whatever it's called, to be able to hook it up to my house. <laughs> and so my next door neighbor, which is the only one other one in the neighborhood that doesn't have access to it, well, he has access because the person that came out and did his house, well, he went down the street further down, laid the cable and said, here you go. But the problem is, is that his junction box is up where mine is, and it's not properly done. So they're going to have to come back out and redo it all. The whole so, thing. Nice. The whole thing. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. just absolutely ludicrous why can't you you know that's either do your job right the first time and don't do it all i mean whatever so that was my frustrating day and of course uh the uh the rest of the day was going out looking for a dishwasher because uh, the one we have that's 18 years old and 
it lasts us a very nice long time. Decide to spring a leak, and uh, I'm not going to hire anybody to come in and stand in front of my sink and do my dishes for me. So I figured I'll just go ahead and buy a new one. So I was well, rushing around this afternoon. Even an 18-year-old that springs a leak? <laughs> This is a family show, Nick, (laughs) because I could go so many places with that. (laughs) Yeah, don't. Okay. I'm not going to. Okay, thank you. I'm going to behave. I'm going to be a nice guy. Because, you know, it is. Uh, Family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. It is indeed a family show. So (laughs) that's been my fun, adventurous last couple of weeks. Uh, No problems getting back and forth to Boston, jump seat, a little bit of snow and ice storm that happened apparently that I didn't care about. What everybody uh, at the airport cared about. So, but uh, on that, uneventful, All relaxed, right. having a good time on vacation, leaving on a cruise on Monday. Oh, that's so nice. So yeah. we'll be missing uh, Dana next week. I will not be here. That is uh, correct. Well, we'll miss I, you. I will be waiting. I'll be working on my liver transplant that <laughs> I already have the surgery scheduled for uh, January. <laughs> Just kind of a proactive thing. <laughs> proactive. Yes. So, why would you need a liver transplant, Dana? Well, because, you know, when they say, you know, it's kind of like when you go to a Chinese food buffet or any type of buffet and they just pay one price and you figure, well, you got to go up and get your money's worth, right? Well, I'm paying one price to be able to drink for the whole week. And that is uh, $43 a day. So I have to get my $43 a day with alcohol. Well, it's not that hard to do on a cruise when the drinks are like $11 a piece or whatever. No, but oh, yeah. I've got to triple it to make sure I'm yeah, getting the proper absolutely. amount. Oh, know, You're going to make them it. sorry that they offered this <laughs> daily liquor pass. Yeah, because I got to make up for my you know, esteemed wife because she'll have like three drinks and she'll be done. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'll have to have I plan on, plan on behaving myself on my cruise. There will not be a whole lot of alcohol consumption. That's what she says a lot now. Of, a lot of sun, uh, <laughs> taking, it, taking in the sun, hopefully. Yeah. That's all I want to see. Well, hopefully it's not like my first cruise they ever took. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. I'm afraid to know. Yeah, 3,600 people on the boat and 1,200-ish hundred were honeymoon couples. So, (laughs) It was not a singles cruise. Yeah, I was wondering why I had seasickness. (laughs) Explains a lot. Oh, man. All right. And, uh, yeah, nothing really happened with me, so we can move on to the news. No, 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 no. We need some updates here. <laughs> we need some updates here, Captain. Uh, it's, it's been a busy couple of weeks for me. Um, you know, of course, the holidays. And then uh, I had a birthday uh, the day after Christmas. Some people call it Boxing Day. Um, some people call it the Feast of St. Stephen. I call it my birthday. Happy um, birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. Yeah, well done. And uh, I am officially 59 years old, and I am just under six years remaining in my potential career uh, of being an airline pilot. So um, in the, in the last stretch here, not quite as close as uh, captain Nick is to the end of his, but uh, have you started your countdown yet? That's no, how you'll know. I need to do that. Don't I? Yeah. Maybe I'll wait a couple of well, years. This point before it might just that. be depressing. Yeah, it would be. Um, so let's see. And then um, I was basically, I started my vacation on the 17th the, the, uh, the fateful day of the Atlanta airport power shutdown. Um, but for, fortunately I was watching it all from home and I think we talked about that on the uh, last episode. Um, and then, uh, let's see my, all my family was home, the kids home from college and, uh, Natalie's birthday was the, uh, 31st. Uh, she was a new year's Eve baby. 
And, uh, oh, somewhere in there, my youngest daughter, Natalie, decided that she wanted to uh, join a gym uh, close by in Roswell. And uh, so she said, hey, Dad, why don't you go with me? Went, okay. So, you know, I thought, check it out. And uh, we went to a couple different places and uh, settled in uh, this one place called L.A. Fitness. And or I think it's it's a French uh, workout facility. La, La, La Fitness. Fitness. No, it's uh, L.A. for Los Angeles, I guess. Um, So we went there and guess what? Somehow I got uh, talked into joining it myself because she wanted to have somebody else to work out with, apparently. Um, And? Yeah. And so what they do is they offer. Yeah. Well, it's even more of a sucker here and you'll hear in just a second. Uh, What part as part of the package that you not package, but the perks of joining this uh, particular gym is they give you a free fitness assessment. Now, folks, if you've never joined a gym and anybody ever offers you a free fitness assessment, do not do it unless you're in really good shape. But if you're really in really good shape, then why are you joining the gym? Well, I guess just to maintain your your general fitness level, I guess. Yeah. So I did this foolishly and, and I, this guy tortured me, made me do things that, and muscles that probably haven't been used in decades. Um, and I was really, really hurting. And, um, and then he starts talking me to me about this personal training program. I ended up signing up for a year's commitment to a personal fitness program. Um, I love it. And I got the lowest cost one. It's like four of these sessions per month. And you realize they're not actually personal trainers, they're salesmen. Yes, I do realize that. <laughs> um, yes, but it's got him going to the gym. Yeah, so you know, I knew that I was being suckered into this thing and and it the the really twisted thing about it to me is I felt horrible and I still signed up for the program. <laughs> and yeah. so anyway, uh, we're, um, well, not, not we, my daughter didn't sign up for that, but, uh, I did. And, uh, so now, um, now I'm, I'm just constantly in pain because of my workouts. And actually, you know, I go, we stay in these nice hotels and usually the crews that I fly with are talking about, you know, going to work out in the hotel gym. And I, I can't remember the last time I saw the inside of a hotel gym. And yesterday I worked out in the hotel gym in Wichita, Kansas. Because I have to, because I have this stupid book of, it has like assignments and homework and everything else I'm supposed to do. So, but really that's for me, that's the only way I'm going to do something is if somebody tells me you have to do this on this day and whether you like it or not, you're going to do it. So I'm going to try to be, you know, a, a more fit person and more of a healthy lifestyle. And, uh, I've really cut way back on my beer consumption. So we'll see how long this lasts. I guess Excellent. probably a year <laughs> Yes, because I'm, I, I want to get, make sure I get my money's worth and uh, let's see what else. Oh, and then I, the, uh, the loser cruiser is no more as uh, as I said, in one of our social media groups, the lo- loser cruiser is dead. Long live the new Honda Accord sport. So I have a little sporty ish kind of car. It's not a sports car, but it's, it's kind of fun. So anyway, just got that on the first day of this year, day before yesterday. So that's what I've been up to. I think I got everything. Congratulations. There. Well, yeah, thank you. a lot of stuff. That's pretty busy. Yeah. Very I, busy. Uh, I did uh, 
did have a oh you know what dana i could have gone over to your party uh turns out you know my daughter was born on the fourth uh, not the fourth uh, my oldest daughter was born on the fourth of july uh which is a holiday here in the u.s independence day but um my youngest turned 21 on the 31st and i'm thinking okay i'm gonna make sure that i'm home for all that and uh the only thing i did with my daughter that day was an eight o'clock workout at the gym and then I didn't see her for the rest of the day. She went out with lunch with one of her friends and then she and her mom went to lunch and shopping. And then some, what her roommate from Elon flew into Atlanta and surprised her. And, uh, she had, uh, paid for two nights at the Ritz Carlton in Buckhead. And mm-hmm. so guess what? My daughter wasn't even home on, uh, the 31st for her birthday. So, so why didn't you come anyways? I should have, but it was just too last, last minute. So. Anyway, no, it's a shame because we didn't start partying until mm, at least three in the morning. Yeah, I don't exactly remember what time. Well, that would have thrown me off for uh, buying the car the next day. So it's probably a good thing. Well, okay. Anyway, I forgive you. Okay. Well, there we go. Anything else? Uh, oh, I have this uh, this picture here in uh, the show notes, and it's I'll, I'll include it in your show notes uh, for this episode. Oh, oh, you know what? The other thing that happened, I just remembered. Um, I noticed that uh, in the social media, people were saying, uh, Jeff, is there something going on with the Airline Pilot Guy website? And I said, well, I don't know. So let me check it out. And it seems that the Airline Pilot Guy server crashed. And we, uh, Arash tried to do everything he could to get the thing going again, but couldn't recover it. And so he had to use a snapshot of what was existent on about mid-November and I'm thinking well that that won't be a problem and then when he re-uploaded that snapshot from mid-November is when I realized that last episode in there was episode 299 and so 300, 301, 302, 303 and 304, five episodes were gone and I'm thinking oh this is not good because I bet the RSS feed that little functionality that everybody uses with iTunes and podcasts app and all the whatever podcasting app you're using to download these episodes. Um, that kind of got confused because all of a sudden it went all the way to episode 304 and then like five episodes are missing. So I had to go in there and rebuild everything and redo the RSS feed. So my apologies to everyone out there who were scratching their head, trying to figure out what's going on with the APG um, podcast. And that's what happened. So we think that it's back stabilized uh, and we're going to figure out exactly what to do to prevent that from happening again. We're not sure if it was um, foul play or if it was just uh, some kind of an issue with the, uh, the server. Although Arash seems to think that the server wasn't at fault uh, because it's a, a very high quality company that's doing this for us. So anyway, so spent a little time rebuilding some stuff so that uh, you guys weren't too inconvenienced. But yeah, well, that's a pain. You've, it's not like you've got lots of spare time, Jeff. Well, but uh, fortunately, I actually did because um, I was still on vacation. So yeah, you know, I would have rather have done other things, but uh, whatever. So um, hacked by a competing podcast, Liz asks. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait. Oh, you know what? Hmm. Oh. That's something yep. to uh, yep, investigate. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think it might actually, I think it was pilot Pip, the plane safety podcast. Uh, 
Oh, that famous yeah. lemon pilot. Because, you know, I think he was the one that noticed that the uh, everything was kind of bunged up. And uh, and then he seemed to think that it wasn't a big deal. So I'm, uh, I'm wondering if uh, Pip has well, something to do. Well, he spends a lot of time in Russia. So it could be. <laughs> He's got a lot of hacker friends over there. The, uh, the lemon pips, Russian hackers. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, so wow. uh, I have this picture I was talking about here a, a few seconds ago or a few minutes ago um, of uh, our, our good friend, Captain Rick Bell uh, of the 911th uh, airlift reserve airlift squadron in Pittsburgh. He was the uh, guy that kind of organized that big, beautiful, wonderful air show that we all attended. Well, not all, but a lot of us did uh, in May of last year. And uh, he, there's a picture of him with one of the Thunderbirds. And um, I think a couple other people from his squadron in Pittsburgh, uh, he made a trip to Nellis air force base to pick up their award for the best military air show according to the uh, air force thunderbirds for 2017 so a big round of applause for for rick bell captain rick our good friend yeah well deserved absolutely so i mean he did a lot of work on that and uh we were all very impressed and uh we had a great time so congratulations rick just wanted to mention that. And I think now it's time to go to the coffee fund. What do you think? Sure. Okay, let's do it. Sure, let's go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. That's the Java Jive, sung by the karaoke singers. <laughs> and the reason why we're playing that is because this is what we play in the background when we're talking about the coffee fund, which is your way to own a small piece of this show by lending your financial support if you are in a position to do so and many of you uh, are and have and we are very thankful that you have done that because that uh, really helps us pay for the expenses of doing this show and it also helps me fill up my coffee cup and occasionally a beer glass or two and gives us motivation to do this show and since the last episode we had a couple people give us some nice generous donations they are ross windsor joseph feeler carl he steve trumbell and kevin dryden thank you for all of you for using the coffee fund classic method via paypal um, and the other way that you can help us in a financial way is to become a patron of the show via patreon and since the last episode we've had some activity there both you know people um joining us to become patrons of the show and also folks deciding that uh, they couldn't support us anymore and we understand uh let's see let me tell you about the folks who ended up becoming um part of the uh, patronage uh, the coffee fund cadre we like to call them uh, let's see. We have Mike Blackburn, uh, basically doubled his per episode pledge. Thank you, uh, Mike. Um, and IMG, 
uh, is a new patron of the show. Um, you know, I thought there were some more, actually. We'll have to uh, go back and, and look. But I think, uh, did we mention? No, we didn't mention this. Uh, David Abbey uh, is a new patron of the show. And Mary McKenzie and Ben. I think that covers everybody. So thank you one and all for becoming patrons of the show via patreon.com. If you want to learn more how you can also become part of the Coffee Fun Cadre, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And again, thank you to all of you who do support us. We do appreciate it. By the way, uh, you'll notice we don't have any commercials on the show, and that's because of your support. Completely user-supported. Stand by for news. I just realized something. We yes. forgot to play some feedback in the news or the intro section. Oh, I didn't know if you were going to play that or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, I'll fit that in somewhere. I'll figure this out later. Just more work for me. <laughs> editing. It's my own fault. Don't worry about it. No, sorry. I was going to ask you about it, but. Yeah, I just happened to uh, notice, or I don't know why I thought of it, but uh, we do have some audio feedback, um, and we had talked about this uh, on a few episodes in December, this uh, surprise that our a good friend and uh, community member, First Officer Craig, was surprising Ashley, and uh, they flew to London, and they, and you know, I haven't even listened to this audio, so let's listen together, shall we? Hi, Captain Jeff and all the other APG crew. It's Nev here on the 29th of December. That means it is not very long to go before the new year. So may I wish everybody involved in the show a happy new year. Just before Christmas, we had a meetup in London, and that was with myself, Reuben, uh, James from Melbourne, uh, F.O. Craig and his fiance Ashley. And that was at Brown's Restaurant in Covent Garden, which was absolutely superb. Really enjoyed it. The food was great. The company was great. Didn't have a lot of time there, but we managed to do a bit of recording. And uh, here is the result. Hi, this is Ashley. I am here in the UK, in London, with Craig and Neville and Ruben and James. And we are having some lovely dinner. I came here from the U.S. and Hey everybody, it's Upfo Craig here. Uh, Ashley's a little nervous, so just don't mind her. G'day, it's James from Australia. Um, here in London for a little bit. Really glad I got to meet up with these guys. It's been a wonderful weekend. Uh, but it's Ruben here. Uh, I had a great evening with uh, Nev, Craig, Ashley and James. And uh, over to Nev. Yeah, it's been a great evening, actually. We had a really nice time, some nice food here just before Christmas in Brown's Restaurant. And there's people that have come a very long way. So James has come from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Craig and Ashley have come from the US. And Ruben has come from 
uh, the southeast London region. So it's been brilliant and uh, really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks ever so much. Gosh, you know, I just uh, <laughs> you do you skip one week and you get completely discombobulated, or at least I do. Yeah, yeah. and I honestly, I I, I didn't. Um, I thought I'd have more time to prepare for the show, but apparently not. No uh, wonder you'd never go on holiday for more than ten days. You'd forget how to work. I it? would. I mean, I'd for yeah. <laughs> Although you know what, I used to uh, take my entire vacation period, starting from about uh, Thanksgiving all the way through like this time of year, like the first couple of days of January. And you'd think that you'd get back in the airplane and like completely forget about how to do everything. But no, that's that's much easier for me than to come and sit in front of all this uh, audio technology and uh, remember how to, how to how to do a show. Um, but um, let's see. I don't think I even so I'm uh, going to have it was just a thought. No, I want to do that. Okay. And um, but I'm just trying to it's figure out exactly where feedback back. But. Yeah, I think I don't even think he sent it to the feedback uh, of the show. I think he just sent it to me via email. We're talking about our good friend Micah. He sent some special audio uh, for my birthday. Mishpuka is a Yiddish word for family. But like many Yiddish words, it can have many meanings. It's a bit more Hamisha than just family. Oh, I did it again. Hamisha is a Yiddish word for warm or cozy in a welcoming way, but again, it's more of a feeling than a description. And so is mishbuka. Sure, mishbuka means family, but it's not about relatives. Well, that's not entirely true either. It could be about relatives, but again, it's more of a feeling of family than it is family itself. Unrelated people could be mishbuka, and siblings, although technically also mishbuka, might not really be at all. It sounds complicated, but it's not. I have no doubt that you have an understanding of what mishbuka is. Why? Because in some ways, you're all lancemen. Gewalt! I'm back to another Yiddish word again. Feh! I guess it takes a lot of chutzpah on my part to use all this Yiddish. I mean, I hope you're not kvetching about it. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you are. But with all this mishigash I'm spieling, I don't want you to plot. You know how I tend to kibitz about things, but I try not to act like some schmendrick. No, I'm not a maven on anything in particular, and I don't want to give you any service or turn this into pure schlock written by some Meshuggah Shlemiel. And some of you would say that if I didn't write something to help celebrate Captain Jeff's birthday, it would be a Shonda, and you would all be verklempt. So as it turned out, for this celebration, if I didn't use a Yiddish word here and there, I'd have ended up with bupkis. <laughs> Can you see that Yiddish is filled with onomatopoeia? So many Yiddish words just sound like what they mean. You don't really need to speak Yiddish to understand a lot of it. Okay, so you're not sure. Would you like a translation? Here it is. Gosh, I'm back to another Yiddish word again. Yuck, I guess it takes a lot of nerve on my part to use all this Yiddish. I mean, I hope you're not complaining about it. I don't know, maybe you are. But with all this craziness I'm speaking, I don't want you to explode. You know how I tend to offer my opinions about things, but I try not to act like some slob. So I'm not an expert on anything in particular, and I don't want to give you any grief or turn this piece into pure garbage written by some insane creep. And some of you would say that if I didn't write something to help celebrate Captain Jeff's birthday, it would be a shame. And you would all be on the verge of tears and unable to speak from being filled with so much emotion. So as it turned out, for this celebration, if I didn't use a Yiddish word here and there, I'd have ended up with nothing. 
even with a word-for-word translation, the meaning just doesn't seem to carry the same weight in English. There just seems to be more feeling and meaning with many Yiddish words. So to get back to what I was saying, why did I call you Lanzmann? Because if you weren't Lanzmann, you wouldn't be here. Lanzmann means people that come from the same place. It could be a local town or an entire region like the New York City metropolitan area, or a country like Poland or Romania. In this case, I'm calling you Lanzmann because we all come from the same community. A community of aviation enthusiasts, and more specifically, a community of aviation podcasts. Now, I don't want to get too schmaltzy here. Oi, I did it again. But the Airline Pilot Guy is truly a beautiful Hamisha podcast, created by Captain Jeff, who happens to be very Menschedicke. That means a true gentleman. But again, more than just a gentleman. The literal translation is human being, but it means so much more. So in this time of the Advent, on the Feast of Stephen, which also happens to be Captain Jeff's birthday, it only seems appropriate to use a little Yiddish to offer my congratulations. Mazel tov, Captain Jeff, and happy birthday. Thanks for being a Lanceman, and for making me and the rest of us feel like Mishbuka. From your Mishbuka here in Portland, Maine, in the USA, this is your main man, Micah. Awesome. Thank you, Micah. That, that was, was just fantastic. <laughs> I thought He's you might funny. enjoy that, Danny. Funny man. Yeah, Very that was good. good. That was really good. <laughs> you know, so many of those words that are, are Yiddish uh, have become part of our normal you know, English parlance, or I don't know if that's the right word or not, but a part of our language. And a lot of the words that he mentioned, I, I didn't realize was a Yiddish word. Yep. Sure. A lot of them are. Yeah. Do you just borrow and steal from other ones? But yep. For good reason. You mentioned so. most of them. Well, Micah, he's been a, a good friend of mine for quite some time and a, a good friend of the uh, APG community and other uh, aviation podcasting communities as well. He's all over the place. And uh, we, all of us who know him personally, uh, really are uh, blessed uh, to, to know him and have him as our friend. So thank you, Micah, for, for taking the time to do that. I know that wasn't something that you just push the record button and just start going. I know that you put a lot of thought into that. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe he just held the recorder up and just started doing the eloquent, eloquent words. Who knows? But uh, again, Micah, thank you. All right. Now, is there anything else that I've forgotten? Come I don't on. Think so. Speak now or forever hold your. I'll just stick it on the next show. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's uh, the easy thing to do, right? So we've already played the new stinger and. Boy, this is going to be all garbled up for editing, but uh, I'm already confused. So let's start with this. And I'm going to do these a little bit out of order here. Um, seems that there was some kind of an incident uh, involving an Airbus A321. And it says here, uh, uh, lack of maintenance support to assess a hard landing prompted an Airbus A321 crew to return to Dusseldorf, after which the aircraft was found to have sustained serious damage. The Germania A321, with 215 passengers and seven crew members, had sustained a 3.32G impact during the landing at Fuerteventura. Is that the way you said that? Sure. Okay. 
uh, in the Canary Islands on 16 July last year. It had initially executed a go-around after bouncing on touchdown following an ILS approach to runway 1. The aircraft subsequently landed on the second attempt some nine minutes later. The crew carried out an external check on the aircraft without discovering anything unusual, and the captain contacted the carrier's maintenance control center in Germany for assistance in interpreting an automated report generated by the landing. The snitch system. I, I added that part. Um, but Spanish investigation authority, C-I-A-I-A-C. Wow. That's one of the, is that a, one of those words that uh, is the same forward and backward? No, no not, not quite. quite. Not quite. <laughs> almost. Not a, not a pal- was that palindrome? Yeah, palindrome. That's right. No, it's almost Not a palindrome. Quite. The CIA IAC says that the absence of criteria regarding the meaning of the hard landing report, combined with the lack of maintenance report at, or support at the airport, led the crew to opt to return to Dusseldorf. Upon arriving at Dusseldorf, inspectors determined that the aircraft needed to be withdrawn from service. Components of the left main, left hand main landing gear needed to be replaced before the A321 returned to service. The CIAIAC says initial information on the event had been received on the 30th of August last year, but confirmation about the extent of the damage was not obtained until the first half of November. <laughs> Ooh, that's kind of a, that's a long period of time there, isn't it? The, October, October, yeah, a couple the, months. The inquiry uh, says the captain had accumulated 6,830 hours, but the first officer only had 325. CIAIAC states in an update to the investigation that its analysis work has been completed and that it intends to in issue a shortly a final report on the event. Okay, so hard landing um, and a related article to this. Investigators have, in, have disclosed that Germania banned pilots flying manual visual approaches under supervision after an unstable descent by a relatively inexperienced first officer led an Airbus A321 to land hard at Captain Nick. How are you, how are you uh, doing with pronunciation there on this? Uh... Well, I've never been there. So oh, okay. So you don't know either. You were doing a pretty good job. Fuerteventura. That was, that was the first time. Ventura. But... Yeah. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll, uh, We'll insert something there. Uh, the first officer had logged 96 hours in type before conducting the ILS approach to runway one using manual control of the thrust and attitude. After the A321 was, was established and final, the first officer disengaged the auto thrust. On short final, however, the aircraft's airspeed declined and the jet dipped below the glide slope. The captain pointed this out and the first officer increased thrust to compensate. But this was insufficient and the captain repeated the suggestion before realizing the aircraft was sinking rapidly while close to the ground. Although the captain took control to execute a go-around, this was too late to avoid a hard 3.3G impact with the runway before the aircraft before became airborne again. The first officer carried out the second approach with automation, and the aircraft landed without further incident nine minutes later. Spanish Investigation Authority, CIAIAC, says the carrier acknowledged that its Airbus crews were not, quote, not well-trained for manual approaches owing to a routine practice of using automatic systems. The captain had believed that the first officer, despite having less than 100 hours on the type, was sufficiently proficient to operate with fewer automated flight systems, a viewpoint supported by the pilot's training record. He had informed the first officer that most pilots in training were reticent and hesitant to use manual thrust and suggested flying the approach without autopilot or autothrust. Weather conditions were good, 
and the crew had visual contact with the runway. The first officer had prior experience and was confident, according to the captain's testimony, to the inquiry and appreciated the opportunity. But CIAIAC says the decision not to use automated systems contributed to the hard landing and that the decision to execute a go-around was late. Germania subsequently prohibited flying manually with manual thrust during supervised visual approaches on the 22nd of July last year, six days after the Fuerteventura event. The CIAIAC adds that the carrier has also been redefining conditions and restrictions for manual flight. So, and that leads me (laughs) to the third thing that I threw in the news folder. And it's not really news, but it was an article in the December 2017, uh, last month's edition of the, or issue of Business and Commercial Aviation. And the title of the article is Snap Out of It and Fly by Ross Detweiler. He starts off by saying, early autopilots were basically wing levelers with altitude hold. A navigator provided course guidance. When he wasn't satisfied with the heading, he would tell the pilot something like, come right to 088 degrees. Excuse me. Come right to 088 degrees. That's what I said. Raj, 088. The pilot responded, and he would reach down, twist a turn control knob, and stop when the heading was correct. Later, my father told me about a friend of his at Pan American who took great joy in using the new heading bug feature when it came to the airline's Constellations or DC-6s. I remember him saying, Old Newt has a contraption he hangs around his neck, and the wood plate on it comes to about the middle of his chest. He attached a little knob to that plate with a flexible cable coming out from the bottom, which he extends to the heading bug. He can steer the damn airplane, excuse me, he can steer the darn airplane while sitting back in his seat. What will be next? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait. Wait until you see what comes next. There have been a lot of nexts in the inter, uh, intervening 60 years or so, and now the state of cockpit automation dependency is so great that the feds have joined the growing chorus, wailing, that's not enough basic airmanship being, there is not enough basic airmanship being taught today. As proof, consider the FAA's safety alert for operators, or SAFO, uh, dated for May 2017, titled, Manual Flight Operations Proficiency. And they also issued one before that in January of, uh, well, I don't know, was it like 2014, 2015, uh, that uh, kind of stressed to operators that they needed to encourage pilots to fly more manual um, flights and uh, when, you know, when appropriate. And uh, apparently they continue to send these safety uh, alerts for operators out there because I guess they're not seeing that the operators are doing anything about it. At least that's my been my experience. Um, okay, so uh, this article goes on. I'll have a nice link to this um, article, uh, but I do want to read a little bit more before we have a discussion here. I think because we, have a, we can have a really good discussion about this. Um, let's see. Uh, the stated purpose of the FAA SAFO or SAFO is to encourage the development of training and line operations policies, which will ensure the proficiency in manual flight operations is developed and maintained for air carrier pilots. It continues. The FAA believes maintaining and improving the knowledge and skills needed for manual flight operations is necessary for safe flight operations. Are we not flying manually enough or we are we flying automatically too long? That's the question by the gentleman that wrote this article. Um, with this new focus in 
uh, while this new focus is a much needed change, assuming the role of devil's advocate, I question whether the cause behind a number of high profile accidents in recent years was the inability of the pilots to maintain basic flying skills. In my mind, Many more problems have occurred because of a, of a reluctance to let go of automated systems and revert to those basic flying skills. And so he goes on, and it's a very well-written article, and uh, he has uh, a lot of the same opinions that we hold here on the, uh, on the APG crew uh, about you know the, the appropriateness of automation, the appropriateness of manual flight, and knowing you know, how to maintain your basic manual flying skills and how important that is for safety. And, uh, we're not alone. So, uh, let's discuss this. And and the reason why I I put all these three together is you have a situation, the Germania a 321 coming in for landing and the captain doing the right thing, kind of encouraging his first officer to manually fly the airplane. Uh, although I think that, uh, he, um, let the situation, um, get a little bit too unstabilized before he started, uh, encouraging the first officer to, uh, make corrections. And then when the corrections were not made in a, in a prompt manner, uh, he probably waited too long to finally take control of the airplane, and that resulted in the hard landing. And then the thing that just amazes me about this whole thing is that the reaction by the airline is to say, okay, that's it. Nobody flies manual manual approaches anymore. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> that's going the wrong direction. I mean, uh, we're, we're supposed to be exercising these skills so we don't lose them, and now they've basically said, you can't use them. So what do you think? Let's discuss. Captain Nick. Yeah, it's a hard one. Um, we we feel that pilots need to keep their handling skills up, so they need to manually fly the aircraft whenever it's appropriate. Uh, here you've got a captain. I don't know if he's a training captain or not, but he's doing what we think is a, a good idea. So he's uh, encouraging his guy to uh, hand fly the aircraft and use uh, auto thrust. And the guy's only... Uh, got a couple of hundred hours, 300 hours. Um, so he'll have had a fair amount of training during that period. He'll have actually probably uh, flown quite a few hand-flown sectors, I would have thought, because that would have been a requirement of his training. So he's probably a bit more practiced than the average bloke on the line who's got into a rut and has always used the automatics. So I would suspect, actually, he would probably done a good job the fault here you're quite right is with the captain but unless he's uh, a well-trained training captain or you think you call them check pilots and doesn't know exactly the last moment at which he can no longer let a situation develop in other words he's an ordinary line pilot and uh, the the uh, his first officer's put him in a situation that's now getting a little bit outside of his experience level. But he would never, hopefully, let the aircraft get into that higher rate of descent so close to the runway. He's left it too late to take control. So that's probably more of the captain's problem than it is the first officer's. We kind of expect inexperienced pilots to make mistakes. Uh, you've got to step in and uh, at the appropriate moment and correct them. Um, without damaging their confidence so much that they then become very nervous about doing the next one. Uh, So, you know, you only take over at the last possible minute because you really want the guy to do a reasonable landing and there's no reason to suggest this first officer shouldn't have done according to his training record. So that's really difficult. Uh, The airline's um, response, I think, is ill-measured. What they should do is uh, take the individual and retrain them and they should uh, perhaps say, 
look, with uh, first officers up to a certain experience level, uh, line check captains should, um, sorry, ordinary line captains should only allow them to uh, ha- manually fly the aircraft in certain conditions. Um, if that was a factor, I don't think it was there. I don't think the weather no, was a factor. The guy just left it too late. Now, to me, that is is a real problem, um, but it's uh, it's not one that's easily fixed within an airline. What it needs is for our airline pilots to arrive with better handling skills and to receive more training before they're put on the line and expected to fly the airplane manually all the time if they want to. Um, I can't see a way around this. Occasionally, you're going to get first officers who screw the approach. Occasionally, you're going to get captains who take over too late. It's bound to happen. Uh, I think it's just a risk of um, learning to fly, uh, whether you be learning to fly an airliner or, or whatever. It's going to happen every now and again. I think uh, Germania's um, response of prohibiting flying manual with manual thrust uh, during a supervised visual approach uh, is saying that you can't do that is stupid. Um, going on to snap out of it and fly. I read this uh, with interest. Um, and all I'm going to say about this is uh, let's listen to the plain tale later on. Uh, and uh, I think we should stop blaming modern aircraft uh, and all their auto- automation uh, for all the woes of mishandling approaches because it happened well before our time. It happened uh, in aircraft that had very little automation. And one of the reasons that a lot of this automation has been put in was to take out the possibility of guys continually mishandling approaches in the days when they used to manually fly them a great deal. I don't think manual flying is a panacea. Uh, developing manual skills is great, but I think there's always going to be a situation where a guy's, uh, the situation he's put himself into, he doesn't have the skill to recover from. And at that point, the automation needs to step in and assist him. Uh, Not every airline pilot's uh, as skilled as every other one, and some of them are going to make big mistakes, and that's when you need automation to come in and help save the situation. Uh, that's my personal feeling. Yeah, I think uh, automation and manual flight skills, it's a, it's a synergy that you have to maintain. And you have to be, you have to be well-versed in, in all modes of flying, whether it be completely manual or various levels of automation to completely automated. Uh, you have to be uh, proficient in all those skills, uh, ultimately. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons for automation. You know, you want that to be able to decrease your workload at certain times. And then there's a lot of good reasons to not use it. And, you know, we've definitely talked about cases where the automation can actually increase your workload because you're trying to manage too many things instead of just looking outside the aircraft and fly when that's maybe the more appropriate thing to do. Dana and I see it all the time uh, where somebody gets themselves uh, themselves into a, a situation where they get behind in the automation and instead of just turning, you know, lowering the levels of automation to kind of recover from it, they are just like so focused on typing new stuff into the box and trying to get it to work. You're, you know, you just want to scream. You go, just, just fly the darn airplane, you know, uh, Dana. Well, you know, since, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll uh, not say what I was about to say. Uh, anyways, uh, my theory on this whole thing is is very simple, and that is if you have a license to fly an airplane, then you're licensed to fly that airplane. Uh, 
So you are able to fly that aircraft as you choose it, unless the company policy says otherwise. And we can't gain experience without being experienced. Uh, I'll go back to my uh, thought that I have talked about in the past, and that is if they want you to have 100 hours worth of multi-engine time before they'll let you rent an airplane, uh, you have to have 100 100 hours worth of multi-engine time. Well, where do you get that? If you can't rent the airplane, well, it comes back to one basic thing, and that's insurance and underwriters and actuaries who are looking at the risks involved. And so we have all these great aircraft, the Airbus being more of a a designed aircraft for a higher automation um, workload or or, or reduce the workload. Um, So the chances uh, or the opportunity for you to click it all off, per se, and fly the aircraft on your own uh, are far less opportune than, than if you're flying an aircraft like Jeff and I fly, where it's pretty much all the time and even when you're using the automation a lot of times the automation is not doing it very smoothly or properly you have to click the darn thing off and you have to fly the airplane so you know we're paid to be in the flight deck to do the job and make sure that we're proficient and we can't be proficient if we're not allowed to be proficient and i think it's uh, you know administrators that are reactionary uh, you know, all of our procedures that every airline in the world are probably written in some form of blood or some form of major mistake. But sometimes you just got to let it happen. I was just actually looking through my phone. I saw it in USA Today. I can't remember. Um, but there was a little blurb like USA Today always has in the front. Uh, how many people have perished in the past uh, couple of years? Uh, well, here it is. I just found it. All right, 37,461 people were killed in motor vehicle crashes in the U.S. roads uh, to, uh, in 2016, up from uh, 5.6 from 2015. 37,461 people. How many people have been, have? I don't know, worldwide, because we just had those two airplanes go down in, uh, in Costa Rica, but I'm pretty sure this year uh, we're near zero. Uh, people that have died worldwide in any type of aircraft accident um, and not not to diminish the Costa Rican accident, but we are in the safest time. And most of the accidents that have occurred as of recent have been due to the lack of the pilots flying the aircraft. Look at Asiana, San Francisco. They didn't know how to fly a visual approach. And let's face it. We have got to have the opportunity to fly the airplane, click it all off, and gain the experience. Otherwise, we're just going to be computer operators or programmers, and that's not what you want in the flight deck. You want people to think and be able to react appropriately with, with their uh, with their uh, motor function skills. Um, just like football, soccer, football, American football, soccer. You just don't go out and play the game. You have to practice. And we have to have the opportunity to practice. So I think I think it's it's a legal situation where uh, you know airlines are very afraid of, of the litigious society that we live in, the insurance uh, regulations, um, and you know if something should happen, you know it was a guy flying the hand you know hand flying the airplane. Well, guess what? This is a captain that everybody knows about. 
and his first officer, Jeff Skiles and Sully, that were manually flying the airplane because they had no automation. All right. And if they didn't know how to fly the airplane, then, you know, we'd be talking about a whole different story. So there, there's a reason why we need to have proficiency. Yeah. I'll just read uh, a little bit more of this article and then you can read the rest. It'll be in the show notes uh, by Ross Detweiler in the uh, Business and Commercial Aviation. I think it was the name of the publication, Business and Commercial Aviation. Yes, the December 2017th issue. He says, I make no judgments here, but relate only what I read. In one case, a pilot experienced a severe in-flight maneuver due to the malfunctioning of a flight control computer. And when when it was all stabilized, he re-engaged the same computer and experienced a second severe upset. In another, a pilot on final uh, on final approach attempted to correct for airspeed excursions from the intended by changing auto throttle modes instead of just putting the throttles where he wanted the power to be for the situation. And I can tell you why that is. In a lot of cases, mo- a lot of pilots don't know where the pilot the throttle should be for a, a lot of different scenarios because they've let the automation do it for so long they've forgotten and hadn't really not paying attention anymore uh, as to what RPM or what thrust setting is appropriate for various scenarios. He says, indeed three of the most dramatic saves in recent memory occurred when the airplane suddenly or violently left the domain of controlled flight. One of these events involved a huge four engine jetliner that suffered so many failures. The crew had to grab hold of the machine, work together, fly it, saving hundreds of lives in the doing. Uh, that was the, the QF, um, 10 380 yeah the a380 yeah. the uh quads yeah i forgot the name yeah. uh, the number uh in, in singapore and then there was a business jet at the end of a 10-hour flight that pitched up so violently the pilot's only option was to uncouple the automation and perform a vertical recovery uh, the third involved the wake turbulence upset of a corporate jet over the arabian sea no options with automation in that event either just grab hold of the airplane and fly all three of these pilots performed basic if not very advanced airmanship to manually fly and save their aircraft. They had no other option since the automated systems had been rendered useless. Um, anyway, so it's a good article. Uh, definitely uh, brings up a lot of good points. And uh, we think that all of you should read it. And uh, whoever sent that, or maybe I just found it on my own. I don't know. But if somebody did send that in to me, thank you so much. That was a great article. And uh, I guess we can uh, move on. Uh, unless there's anything else to discuss before we move on to the uh, best part of the show? No, I was just uh, discussing with Derek Thurman in the chat room. Uh, he, as he quite rightly says, there's no one fix to this. Uh, we all have to train to be good, become good pilots. We all have to continue to practice our skills to remain good pilots. We all have to learn and understand how the automation in our aircraft works so that we can use that automation and the appropriate time properly. And we also know how to have to fly the airplane completely manually if it's called for. That is an entire circle of skills we need to build up. And that there's not one fix. You can't just say, I think it's incorrect to say, we all need to build up manual flying skills. Well, yes, you do, but you also need to make sure you can do everything else at the same time. Only when you've got that complete circle of skills are you going to be a safe operator. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I could not agree with you more. I mean, you have to have the whole whole package. Absolutely agreed. All right. Good discussion. Thank you. I was hoping that these uh, news articles would spur that, and uh, and it did. So, 
Again, as I said, um, let's move on to the best part of the show, which of course is your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Okay, let's start with James. Uh, He sent us some feedback last month. Dear Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, and hiatus Rick. I'm not sure if this topic has been covered before, but I want to ask why 2017 technology still has not allowed an airliner's gross weight to be sensed automatically from the gear assembly or by rolling onto pressure pads at the gate parking position. Correct me if I'm wrong, that payload, fuel, and cargo weights are still being entered manually into the CDU slash FMC. I'm sure all the airlines got their passenger weights wrong this past week from the Thanksgiving holiday weight. Great show. Congratulations on the 300th. And that's James Chen in Toronto, Canada. And we've talked about this before. Um, I'm not sure. I know that there were at least one or two airplanes out there. I think there were both wide bodies that had systems like this uh, set up for their main landing. I think the L-1011 was one of them, actually. Uh, I'm pretty I, sure the 7 so At least some of them had uh, mm-hmm. a similar system. And it it does seem to make a lot of sense, doesn't it? That, uh, you know, if we want to know exactly how much this airplane weighs, why not use something that's self-contained? Uh, I'm not sure exactly why the systems were deactivated or no longer desired by the companies buying the airplanes. I have a feeling it has something to do with the cost initially, the uh, cost of maintaining the system, and uh, I don't know, maybe uh, way down the line, um, they don't really want to know exactly what the <laughs> weight of the airplane is for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, yeah. Um, first of all, hiatus, Rick. I like that. He's pro- he probably got one of those from overstraining himself in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, no, I. The the problem is that uh, you know we we all we never exceed our max takeoff weight. For example, I mean that is an absolute no no one kilogram, and you're illegal to fly. So the problem is if there's a uh, even a point one percent, which it would be tiny. Uh, error factor in your aircraft self-weighing system. You loaded the aircraft to max takeoff weight, and when you got everything on board, the last passion climate on, and you shut the door, and you were 0.1% uh, over your max takeoff weight, you'd have to go, oh, damn, now I've got to find some way to reduce the aircraft weight until the aircraft sensing system is correct. So I don't think any sensing system is accurate enough to cope with that. At least the way we do it now, we do it all legally. I mean, the the estimation system of passenger weights and, and bag weights is just that. It's an estimation. So there's bound to be some errors in there, but at least it's all summed up and all the numbers look nice when we, we climb on. Um, expense, I think you're quite right, Jeff. Uh, unserviceability, uh, I don't think it's uh, going to be easy to maintain that the serviceability on that. Even if you're relying on it, that's, that's another factor. And uh, I'm certain that uh, it would be damned expensive for airports to have systems that uh, are on the ground. But the point is that we all decide our fuel load dependent on the aircraft weight. Uh, So if we are weighing the aircraft at the end of all that, uh, we are then going to make another fuel decision if we find that we're carrying a bit more weight than we expected. Uh, We need some extra fuel on now. So are you going to bring the balances back? How's it all going to work? I think the system is uh, pretty good the way we run it at the moment, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. I was looking at a, um, just going through an old book, uh, or a, a book filled with old pictures, actually, uh, from Midway Airport back in like the 1930s. 
And there was actually a picture of a lady being weighed on look, what looked like, you know, like the produce scales at the grocery store with like the, the numbers up top and then like a basket below. <laughs> I think she was getting on like a tri pacer <laughs> or something. She didn't speak her weight, which would have been a bit embarrassing, perhaps. <laughs> Over the loud speaker system. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. I think it was actually her and her child in her lap that was being weighed. So, well, you know, there are still a... some uh, some destinations where we do weigh everything. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, so, your your um, airline does that. Well, I certainly know there are some places where we weigh all the ba- the baggage. Okay, and actually account but, for all that, not just use the standard baggage weights. What about the passengers, weight. though? Do you weigh the passengers as well? No, I don't think we do. I don't. You know, we talked about this on the show. Uh, like, uh, there's some like Pacific, South Pacific airline, uh, like in. Uh, I forgot one of those you know, like Fiji islands or something like that. A uh, very, very small airline that, you know, carries like one or two or three passengers at a time that uh, we're starting to weigh passengers. And of course it's much crit- more critical for that kind of airplane to get an accurate weight. But um, I guess oh, I've, ma- I've been weighed for, um, Have you? Uh, yeah, flights on the Britain Norman Islander. Oh, yeah. um, taking a couple of those and actually both times different airlines I was weighed. Oh, Interesting. Different parts of the world. Do they give you a cheaper ticket because you're slim? <laughs> they should have. They're, yeah, yeah, they should charge they? by the uh, by the pound. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so like, I'm saving you two gallons of gas here, so I want that knocked off my ticket. Thank you, Micah. Uh, Micah says it was Samoa. Yeah, I was thinking it was like down there in the Fiji Islands or the Samoan Islands, uh, some, uh, American Samoa. Samoans are large people. Yes, I can, I can, uh, I can tell you. I, I can sure. vouch for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm from there. Oh, okay. Just take a look at me. I'm yeah, looking. you're okay. Oh, interesting. We learn something new every show. <laughs> so the, here's wow. the title: Dana is a Samoan. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, uh, so James, a good question. Um, thank you for the congratulations on the 300th. We had a blast, and uh, we look forward to the uh, 1,000th. Yeah, we can look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. This was sent in by 700 shows. Steve Perry. Yeah, do the math. How many years is that? 700 divided by 50 ish or so? Yeah. It's a few. Yeah. I I might still be alive. I I probably will be. I'll be like, well, that new exercise program. Oh, yeah, maybe I will be. I've been kicking. I was telling the guy I was buying the car from, I said, you know, I normally drive a car for 20 years, but I started doing the math. That would be 79 years old. I said, I think I'll die before 20 years on this one. (laughs) But uh, anyway, Uh, let's see. Steve sent in some, Steve Perry sent in this. uh, United Airlines 1549, flight 1549, had a. AWE fifteen forty nine. Okay, or, but it well, wasn't was, America. Uh, it was, it was US, Air, US Air, wasn't it? US Airways. I'm yeah, sorry. Yep. US Airways. Thank you. Uh, fifteen forty nine. Same number, by the way. Ooh, uh, the crew reported loss of thrust in both engines, but it was apparently just a false alarm. It may be time to retire the fifteen forty nine flight number across all airlines. He says. Uh, so the, this from the uh, Aviation Herald. Um, Tuesday, uh, December 5th is when this was posted. Uh, this was the event occurred on the 4th of December, a United Boeing 737, 900 registration for all of those out there who like this, uh, November 63899 performing flight 1549 from Boston to Chicago was descending through about flight level one, one, zero 
uh, over here in the U.S., it's 11,000 feet. Toward Chicago, when the crew declared an emergency, reported the loss of thrust in both engines. They were CFM 56s. ATC immediately cleared the flight directly to Chicago and kept runway 22 left sterile for the emergency, redirecting all arrivals uh, that were set up for 22 left onto 22 right. About 10 minutes later, the crew advised it had been just an indication issue and an issue with the engine mode control, and they would be able to land just fine and vacate the runway on our, their own power. The aircraft deviated around weather, continued for a safe landing on runway 22 left about 15 minutes after the emergency call. Um, never mind. Nothing to see here. Um, apparently, we didn't lose complete. Th- that must be <laughs> must have been an embarrassing thing. Yeah, we've lost thrust on both engines. And then, uh, hey, yeah, Joe, what? The engines are still running, and they're still providing thrust. Oh, what were you looking at? I guess I was looking at the wrong thing. I don't know. I have no idea what happened here. Any ideas? I know. Perhaps their TV screen, they changed it, changed channel to Fox <laughs> or something. I have no idea. It is a, it is a only the electronic thing, the 900, isn't it? Yeah. I, I would, yeah. Uh, I electro, electronic, um, yeah, it's a FADEX system. Uh, and yeah, but I'm, I'm just trying to work out how they'd lose indications for both engines because they've got independent FADEX, I'm assuming. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking they didn't look thoroughly at all the other instruments to, you know, make sure that they actually did lose both engines. Um, you know, uh, something, uh, something, I would love to be the, a little fly on the cockpit wall to see what happened on this one. Yeah, I wonder if they accidentally wiped the cockpit voice recorder. Accidentally, of course. Yeah, yes, that's the fine. only way it ever happens. Can't can't they can't they still recover? I, I know I know there's a, you know the button to erase the CVR, but I've heard that they can recover you know several layers back from from a CVR. It just takes a little bit of investigative work. Could be, yeah. It's like when you're erasing something on your computer hard hard drive. It's not really gone. It's still no, there. No. You can still find stuff. <laughs> uh, and then after a long time, it's finally r- written over. But yeah, maybe you're right, Dana. Maybe it's very similar to that. Um, I don't know. But uh, that that was all we heard about that one. Um, uh, first uh, part of December and no updates on the um, Aviation Herald article. So I have a feeling that that was all taken care of internally at United, most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about on the show, the, uh, issues with the 787 Dreamliner and their engine issues, uh, Rolls Royce engines. And, uh, Tom sent us, uh, Tom Seagraves, uh, sent us this article, uh, from newsinflight.com. Uh, airlines are grounding 787s for urgent maintenance. And it has a picture of these, uh, are these the, uh, turbine blades or, um, I think these are turbine blades. Uh, let's see. Anyway, uh, the yeah, whatever like blades they are, they are completely mangled and look horrible. And apparently there's some kind of a corrosion issue. Um, yeah, turbine blades, it says. Uh, the photos of the failed engine show damage to multiple turbine blades, suggesting a part broke off and traveled through the engine. Yeah, that's what, kind of what it looks like there. Anyway, um, so uh, as we know, Rolls-Royce is scrambling to... Uh, to address this uh, issue because there are a lot of airplanes out there that are being affected, most notably the uh, the 787, uh, Boeing 787. So uh, thanks, Tom, for sending that in. Any uh, comments about that? 
No. Okay. I know I've seen similar pictures. Yeah. But, uh, that that just looks scary to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like all the edges are just serrated on the. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes for you all to look at it as well and be scared. Um, Aussie pilot Trev uh, says, I had a first on a U.S. flight last night. I was on an Alaska flight into Seattle. As we were descending from cruise, the cabin crew and the captain asked for all electronic devices to be shut down and not just in airplane mode. They were polite but very insistent. It was out of the norm and really caught the passengers' attention. Everyone seemed to ma- be making an effort to comply. Uh, as we approached Seattle, it was very VFR, but there was some patches of low fog. On short final at SEA, Seattle International, Seattle Tacoma International, we could see the tower clearly above the fog, but there was a thick fog around 50 to 100 feet above the ground. I'm an instrument-rated private pilot, but it was very a very weird experience to descend into IMC at that altitude. They made an incredibly smooth landing, and the passengers erupted in applause. I chatted with the pilots on the way out. It was called a Cat 3 with Autoland. They were very proud that a UA or a United Airlines flight ahead of us had to divert, but Alaska made it in. My question for the APG crew is how common is it for crews and planes to have this capability? I assume there is extra training required. How much is involved? Is the requirement to shut down electronic devices mandatory or just a cautionary act or action by the captain? Congratulations on episode 300. Okay, a bunch of questions in there. And uh, it turns out it depends on the airline. Uh, as we said and talked about on previous shows, the airline for which uh, Dana and I fly, Acme, does not have any stipulation that electronic devices be turned completely off uh, for low visibility approaches. But apparently this is an option for some, and I found Alaska's uh, in-flight portable electronic device policy here and i'll read a little bit of it here you may use small portable electronic devices during all phases of the flight provided they are in airplane slash game mode unless the captain directs the the devices to be turned off okay so there you go that gives the authorization for the captain to say okay i want everybody to turn them completely off and also, in my quick research on this, I found a similar statement in the United Airlines safety policy. But I scoured ours and a few other airlines, and there was no mention of it. So I guess, you know, it's it's one of those things, and we've had this. I don't want to rehash that uh, discussion, uh, which was kind of heated. Uh, but uh, there are um, different feelings about that and different policies, apparently, out there regarding that and uh, uh, the various airlines. So, um, let's see, but uh, going back to this, uh, low visibility cat three Autoland approach, um, how common is it for crews and planes to have this capability? It's pretty common for the major airlines around the world. Um, and, uh, there is extra training required every time we go toward for our recurrent training or not, maybe not every time, but every other time or whatever, there's a certain cycle where we are required to, show proficiency in flying these low visibility approaches in the simulator and we are you know qualified then from that point to continue to and there's also a uh, what is it dana every 90 days we have to do um, an automated landing uh, or a simulated automated uh, automated landing in the airplane and we have to log this for us to maintain currency so the crews have to maintain currency the airplanes have to maintain currency for it all to work correct and that uh, is correct Jeff. yeah 
And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Category 3 and Autolands and stuff like that from our good friend Colonel Jeff um, later in the show. He sent us some audio feedback regarding that because we were discussing that because there was an issue an episode uh, in uh, maybe the last episode where um, a Delta flight, uh, a 737, had to go around and we were discussing a low visibility approaches and auto land or whether a 737 has auto land or just the HUD or whatever. So, um, actually, um, the Acme airlines and what you refer to, uh, you can auto land the airplane. Yep. And, uh, and Jeff is going to, uh, make a similar observation from his company. Um, but apparently there are some that don't have the auto land system, uh, capability, uh, in their airplanes. Um, just a different company, the way the, the airline ordered the, uh, the airplane and the automation. Um, let's see anything else that we failed to, uh, cover, uh, from Aussie pilot Trev. Okay. No, I'm good. All right. Um, you know what, what we do, we'll do this out of order. Uh, since we're talking about Autoland, why don't we go ahead and play that, uh, piece of audio feedback that, Jeff sent in. So take it away, Colonel Jeff. Hello, APG community. It's Colonel Jeff. I got a note from Captain Jeff about wanting some information about the 737 heads up display system auto land capability after the last episode and some of the feedback that was in the chat room about the Delta incident at Atlanta last November. So I'm a Captain on the 737 and American Airlines, our aircraft all have HUDs. And because we have a HUD, our aircraft are not certified to do the standard auto land. We do not do auto lands at all. Yes, I can do a CAT-2 or a CAT-3 approach, but I hand fly the aircraft. Only the captain can do it because only the captain has the heads-up display. The reason for that ability is because the flight director in the heads-up display is so much more accurate than the flight director available in the primary flight display in the cockpit. The When I was a co-pilot on the airplane, I always used to wonder why the captain was always moving the yoke so much when he was doing an ILS approach, cap one, two, or three. And then I got to see the HUD, and you were chasing this little ball all over the place. You have a flight path marker, which looks like a tiny airplane. It's a So it's a fuselage with a tail and two wings. And you're chasing the flight director, which is a smaller ball circle that you try to put inside the circle of your aircraft. So you're chasing that thing. And it is extremely sensitive. I mean, it is the most fun thing to do, chasing that thing around the HUD. It's not that it moves a whole lot, um, but every little bounce, every little change in the wind, every little input you have moves that little ball and you're trying to keep it dead centered and it's like trying to balance a pin on the end of a pen <laughs> is the best way to put it sometimes we have three levels of sen- sensitivity a1 a2 and a3 a1 is restricted to just uh, to category one ILSs, just a standard ILS category two of course you have to use that for a cat two and category three you have to use for cat three uh Day-to-day use, I use the CAT-2 all the time, except when I'm doing a real CAT-3, then I switch it over to CAT-3. It just increases the sensitivity of of it. So the other thing we can't do, we cannot use the autopilot during this mode. We can use the autothrottles, 
But as I said at the beginning, our aircraft are not certified to do auto lands. So at a thousand feet, we are required to turn it off the autopilot. And then we just fly the HUD down. It's a little, the first time you do it, it's a little nerve wracking. My first Cat 2 landing was a little interesting since uh, we broke out right at minimums of 100 feet uh, for us. And we can fly down to 50 feet for a Cat 3. So in this instant, was the co-pilot flying? He does not, I don't believe any 7.3s except the Alaska ones maybe have a HUD on the co-pilot side. So he is obviously doing a Category 1 approach. Um, He's obviously overreacting to some of the uh, feedback that the flight director is giving him, in my judgment, based on how far he turned. Um, I think it was Captain Nick who was saying, six degrees of heading change, that low to the ground is a huge heading change. Um, and the fact that they got down to 60 feet when the go-around was initiated uh, at 200 feet was also was kind of eye-watering to listen to. So that's how our aircraft are configured. I do not know how Deltas are. I doubt that Delta would keep them uh, certified to auto land because it's expensive. That's why you have the HUD, because it's cheaper to have the HUD than to keep the airplane uh, auto land certified because it costs a lot of money to keep the autopilots uh up and running to those specifications. Uh, as they were talking about, they do practice auto lands in their MD-80s all the time, and I remember doing it in the MD-80 and on the 7.5 and the 7.67 as well, and in the A300. And it was just something we had to do every so often to recertify the airplane. And that's something we don't have to do on the 7.37 because, it's again, it's hand-flown. We as captains have to log a HUD landing, so many HUD landings every so many months, um, just to keep current. And it's something we track. And uh, I try to do it whenever the weather's low, do a real Cat 3, and I brief it that way. And I I fly it as if I was going all the way down to 50 feet at minimums. So, um, but that's the 737 and how we fly it. Again, it's uh, it's also interesting that this was a 900 because like the 800 that I fly, our approach speeds are extremely high. If he's coming in with that kind of bad weather at Atlanta, where the visibility is that bad, the ceiling is that low. I'm sure he's got a, a couple alternates that aren't that close. So he's probably landing near max landing weight, which means his approach speed is probably pushing 155, maybe even 160 knots. Uh, so he's moving across the ground a lot faster than most other airplanes are. Um, and Jeff, I don't remember what the Mad Dog approach speed was, but I don't remember being anything much above about 130 I know on the 757 at max landing weight, the approach speed was only 130 knots. So uh, the 7.3 is quite a bit faster than most other aircraft uh, out there. And doing a Category 1 in the GU, things happen a little bit faster. Not a whole lot, but just a little bit. So with that, I'll end this. I hope you've all had a wonderful New Year. I'll be celebrating mine in Kansas City. Uh, I'll be on a trip and where it's going to be freezing cold. So I hope this year brings good wishes for everybody and wish all of you a happy new year. Bye-bye. <laughs> I thought that was one of us. It was actually Jeff's background. Yeah, um, winter. Oh, was that one of us? Okay. Yeah, it sounded sound like a, uh, a um, jet ink printer. Well, anyway, thanks, Colonel Jeff, for sending that in. And as we discussed momentarily right before we played your audio feedback, um, the the jets that fly for Delta, the 737s, all have auto land capability in addition to the HUD and the capability to hand fly 
down to um, 50 feet on a Cat 3. That's right, right, Dana? I got that right? Yes. Okay. 50, uh, also, 50 feet on a Cat 3. That's also, Tom Dugan. Um, well, uh, actually, hold on, Jeff. It, it depends on the equipment and the uh, certification of the runway as well, the approach. Okay. okay. So there um, are some that are not so low. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, dispatcher Tom um, also uh, sent Dana and I some information about that. He was looking at some of their uh, their manuals as far as maintenance um, uh, considerations when certain uh, components are inoperable. And uh, the uh, the manuals made it pretty clear that Autoland was installed on all of our or all of Delta's 737s um, at and uh, but they also so they have both capabilities, I guess we should say. All right. So hopefully that puts an end to that discussion. It's an interesting one, though. I didn't even know that you could do that on a HUD. So it just shows my level of general aviation uh, knowledge. Uh, And um, I'm going, well, actually, that's that's quite an impressive feat going down to 50 feet uh, following the ILS beam. Uh, And I'm surprised he he says that they have to chase the ball quite hard because I would have thought you would have to be incredibly smooth and just really peg it. Uh, And if you were starting to chase the ball, it would be quite easy to go out of limits. I wonder if there's any automatic monitoring that says, right, you're out of limits now, you've got to throw the approach away. I I, I wonder how that side of it works. I don't know. I don't know enough about that. I, I I don't know either. I was trying to picture exactly that, you know, what you're looking at on the HUD there, though, is a, that was a really good description, the way that Colonel Jeff described it. You know, you can almost envision it like, you know, being a target that you're chasing and trying to match the ball with the target. So, yeah, and, very and well done. I've, I've never personally in, in real world flown the HUD either, but I can, I have had the opportunity and simulated to do so. And it's, uh, it is very accurate and, and, and it's amazing. Uh, how reliable that thing is. So it puts you right into the touchdown zone every time. I, I think actually I, I would trust it more than in some regards than the, uh, than the, the mad dog Autoland system because, you know, it keeps the pilot in the loop and you continue flying, continuously flying the airplane all the way down. I think most of us would feel more comfortable actually because that, when you're flying an uh, Autoland approach, um, and I'm sure we could all agree, it um, is very nerve-wracking because you you are essentially flying almost like you're flying the airplane. Your your hands are on the stick or the yoke and the throttles, and I mean you're ready to take over at you know if anything goes wrong. Um, and uh, it's it's kind of nerve-wracking when the when the automation the airplane's flying itself doing it. And uh, we would most of us I think would be more comfortable if we just were flying the airplane. And then we wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, and Steve in the chat room says, uh, I'm guessing he must fly the same uh, type of approach. We do have a HUD approach warning if out of HUD tolerance. So hmm. something obviously squeaks at him. Perhaps it's his nervous first officer. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Ah. I mean, I can't remember. I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but we had a pretty low approach not too long ago back in December where uh, we were relying on the Autoland uh, system to get us in and uh, fortunately had just cleared up enough. You know, I had, I think, a 24, 2,800 RVR, something like that, and the airplane came down to about 
20 feet, the autopilot was trimming, trimming, trimming to try to land the aircraft, and it just started flying back away, ballooning away from the uh, runway, and it just autopilot just kicked off at about 20 feet and said, your airplane. <laughs> that was supposed nice. to be an auto land. Yeah, you bet, and you better be ready to take over if that ever happens. Were, were you in the clear when that happened? Yeah, we, as I said, we were, it, it was about 20 for 2600 rvr oh, okay it had just come up you know it, yeah. we, were talk, we were talking 900 you know thousand foot rvr so it was uh was quite hairy if if it, if it was a no crap uh 500 foot or 600 foot uh 50 foot decision altitude uh auto land i i don't know yeah, that would have been that would have been ugly yeah at you know 10 20 feet you, you, the airplane gives up really yeah not good. Not good at all. All right. Uh, some more audio feedback. Uh, this from Carl He. If I can just find it. Here it is. Greetings to the APG crew and the APG community. This is Carl He. I'm sending this feedback to thank you for the companionship with Airline Pilot Guy Show. To make the long story short, I first joined episode 57 with a mere curiosity to find out how the life of an airline pilot is. It was two years ago that I was luckily selected as a cadet of some low-cost carrier. When I started flying training, I was listening to episode 193. When I became a private pilot, I was listening to episode 224, when I became an instrument pilot, I was listening to episode 249. When I became a commercial pilot, I was listening to episode 258. When I got my A320 type rating, that's when I became an Airbus pilot guy, <laughs> I was listening to episode 288. And most recently, I checked out as a line first officer. And now I'm listening to episode 304. Thank you so much for being there, APG community. I think it's time to buy the crew coffee and become a patron. Please keep the good show coming. Bye-bye. Well, we can only do one thing and just say congratulations, Carl, for... Um being there and, and sharing your journey. And I, I, I remember getting feedback from Carl, um, you know, several times, uh, years ago. And that is so awesome. Uh, when you feel like, you know, somebody, uh, for, for a while and you know, the journey they're going through. And we kept saying, you know, keep, keep us, uh, you know, in the loop and let us know what's going on. And I really liked the way he incorporated, you know, what episode was happening at the time when he made these sense milestones. Of time, you know, yeah. that's, that's really fun. Thanks for sending that Carl. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's interesting because it's obviously an ab initio program. And yep. I think that's, that's probably the future of most of the, the airline uh, pilot structure of, of people coming in. Not obviously in the immediate future in the states, but uh, certainly uh, it's something that I think will happen. Yeah, I think that we're seeing that uh, general direction, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. Well done, Carl. I love that Air, Airbus pilot guy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. A different APG. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a really good show. Oh, uh oh. 
You gave Nick an idea, I think. Yeah, I, I wonder know. if uh, I wonder if they need any uh, other Airbus planets. <laughs> I'm thinking you're just going to start your own and just call it the APG, the Airbus Pilot Guy. <laughs> oh no, I end up looking like you, Jeff. No, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. Here we go. <laughs> wow. Wow, it's amazing. It's almost like the same exact. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on, moving on, as uh, <laughs> as uh, Matt Smith likes to say. Um, this is from Captain Steve. He said, APG crew, listening to episode 303 and your discussion on the, rela- on the relaxing of uniform standards or expectations. As a line check airman, I am one of the first people that my new first officers come in contact with, and I have a fresh brain in which to create an idea of the importance of uniform usage. Likewise, when training captains, I have, uh, likewise, when training captains, I have a bit of influence on their attitude, not as much though. I feel we do ourselves a disservice as professionals in a white-collar, respected customer service business when we attempt either as individuals or as a company to dumb down the uniform. Yes, you can fly a plane safely, completely naked, but that doesn't make for good customer service. Unless you're Captain Jeremy. Uh, (laughs) Captain Ron Jeremy. Okay, um, what I tell my fellow pilots is, if you ask any of these people in the gate area to draw a pilot, the pilot would have stripes on his sleeve and a hat on his head. And if that person is at all nervous about their upcoming flight and I walk up looking like their image of a pilot, then I put them at ease, if only in the least. So that's one reason I emphasize wearing the uniform and having some pride in it. I didn't work my tail off to get to where I am just to try to hide what I am when at work. Why dumb myself down? Again, that's Captain Steve. Well put, sir. Okay. They, they do that regularly on UPS and FedEx, don't they? Well, apparently, uh, I've seen some pictures of uh, Hiatus Rick, um, and they um, they get comfortable. I don't know if they go mm-hmm. all the way naked, though. A little different when you don't have passengers directly behind you, yeah. I guess. Or flight attendants. They're generally in their boxers and T-shirts, undershirts, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, that's what I thought. I don't know if they get all the way into their boxer. <laughs> uh, Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. You haven't seen the good pictures stuff. I haven't seen the good pictures. <laughs> I'm missing out. <laughs> Rick, you've been holding out. <laughs> and, you uh, haven't heard of Gappa, have you? Huh? Gappa? Gappa. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid to ask. Don't Go ask. Ahead. Don't okay. ask. Okay, don't ask. <laughs> don't ask. <laughs> Let's move <Yeah>. on. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Would this be a good time to play this week's installment of Plain Tales? Yes. Sure. Yes. All right. We have uh, several votes, yays. So we're going to continue with this week's installment of Plain Tales. The old pilot's Plain Tales. Talk to me. In aviation, voice communication is a vital ingredient and often the only medium available to pass information. No conversation is more vital than that between the pilots and those who smooth their progress through the air, air traffic controllers. Controllers rightly pride themselves on their ability to safely move metal through the skies, but we're all human 
and when that essential link breaks down, not just between air and ground, but on the flight deck itself, it can have devastating consequences. It was always going to be a foul night at New York's JFK airport. It was late in the evening of January the 25th, 1990, and the weather was even worse than forecast. The cloud base was around 300 feet, the visibility occasionally down to one quarter of a mile in rain and fog, and although the surface wind was around 20 knots down runway 22 left, it was as much as 60 knots at 1,000 feet and around 50 knots at 500 feet, leading to warnings of wind shear and turbulence on the approach. Avianca Flight 52 had departed Bogota, Colombia, earlier in the day, and on making an en route stop at Jose Maria Cordova Airport, the dispatcher and the captain discussed how much fuel to take. They carried enough for their journey, plus their final reserve, fuel for the alternate airport of Boston, and some holding fuel and taxi fuel. On top of this, the dispatcher ordered an extra £4,000, that's about 1.8 metric tonnes. Before departure, the captain suggested that they use a different runway so they could get an extra £2,000, 900 kilograms, onto the aircraft, taking it up to their maximum takeoff weight. It was later established that the JFK weather given to the crew at Cordova was some 9 or 10 hours out of date, and the forecast for Boston was no longer within limits for an alternate airfield. Just after 3 in the afternoon, the Boeing 707 got airborne, bound for JFK. On the sixth floor of a building in Washington, D.C., at 800 Independence Avenue, lived the Central Flow Control Facility, which managed the airspace of the National Airspace System and ensured that the number of arriving aircraft did not exceed the capacity of the airports and en route sectors. The CFCF was, to put it politely, giving JFK a very optimistic landing rate of 33 aircraft per hour whereas the arrival rate should have been set at a much more realistic 23 aircraft per hour. When the weather worsened, the reaction was too slow to prevent a significant backup. An initial ground stop for inbound traffic wasn't sufficient to abate the airborne holding, which had already begun to build up. Aircraft continued to pour into the sectors surrounding New York, and holding times were mounting. Unaware of what was ahead, Flight 52 was at flight level 370 and working its way through Miami's upper airspace. On the flight deck that day was an experienced 51-year-old captain who had been with Avianca 27 years and had some 16,000 hours flight time, of which over 1,500 was on the venerable 707. His first officer was 28 and had 1,800 hours, but only 64 hours on type, having recently converted. Working at the Flying Engineer Station was a man nearly as experienced as his captain, with 10,000 hours and over 1,000 hours just on the same airframe as they were flying that night. Despite his long career, what became obvious during the flight was the captain's poor grasp of English. 
Not once during the flight did he use the radio, even when vital information needed to be passed, leaving all the air traffic communication to his younger and less experienced co-pilot. Avianca had a contract with Pan American World Airways to provide flight following within the United States, specifically for flights returning to Colombia, but despite having out-of-date weather forecasts, no effort was made to contact them to discuss the weather changes, the ATC situation at JFK, and the available alternates. The first inkling that things might not go as smoothly for them as they hoped came to the crew of Flight 52 when they were given holding instructions over Norfolk, some distance from JFK, for nearly 20 minutes. The crew complied without comment, perhaps believing that when the hold ended, they would be on their way again without further delay. However, not much further into their journey, the Washington sector informed them that they would again be holding over position Botom. This delay lasted an additional 26 minutes, and perhaps feeling concerned, they asked Washington what the situation was like at their diversion, Boston. They were informed that Boston was open and accepting traffic, and to also expect as much as 30 minutes of additional holding in the New York area. When being placed into these holds, the controllers were passing expect further clearance times. From the conversation on the flight deck, it may be that the crew were confused as to what these times meant. It is possible that the captain understood an EFC time to be the time when he could expect to leave the hold and begin an approach to land, whereas the NTSB informs us that, in reality, they are merely estimates issued by the controller based on a dynamic traffic and weather situation and are given to provide a time to commence the approach should the flight lose radio contact. It appears that, without any other information, the Avianca crew were planning their fuel reserves and ability to reach their diversion based on these times past. After leaving the boat on hold, they were moved tantalisingly close to their destination before again being held at position Cameron. Their first EFC time expired about eight minutes before they joined the Cameron hold, and they were given another for 2039, about nine minutes into the future. When their controller issued yet another EFC, this time for 2105, the captain finally realised that they were in a serious situation, and they needed to commence their approach very soon. The first officer asked for an estimate, and the reply, at first, sounded confident, when the controller said that, he might be able to get you in right now, stand by one. However, their hopes were dashed when they were advised, we just got off the line, it's uh, indefinite hold at this time. Flight 52 replied with, ah, well, I think we need priority. The controller asked how long they could hold for and what their alternate was. A little while later, they replied that they could hold for about five minutes. That's all we can do. On being asked again for their alternate, they replied, Ah, 
We said Boston, but uh, it is uh, full of traffic, I think. The controller asked them to say again the alternate airfield. Uh, it was Boston, the first officer replied, but we we can't do it now. We We don't. We run out of fuel now. It was clear that, expecting an approach before this point, the captain had allowed his fuel state to reduce below the point at which he could safely divert. Not only that, as was subsequently revealed, the aircraft was already critical for its destination. It is apparent from the radio recordings that while holding at Cameron, they first expressed a need for priority, that they could only hold for five minutes and that they couldn't reach Boston. Whether the crew believed that these transmissions to air traffic control conveyed the urgency for emergency handling is unknown, but during the subsequent vectors towards the airfield, their question should have been answered when they were given a turn away from JFK in a long racetrack that delayed them several further minutes. It should have been obvious that their controllers were treating them as routine traffic and not with any priority. At this point, if not earlier, they should have declared an emergency. It was now that the cockpit voice recorder became available, and the transcript shows us that the first officer clearly mistakenly believed that they are giving us priority. The flight progressed to the instrument approach for runway 22 and ILS. The aircraft had enough fuel to make the approach, but the flight engineer was clearly concerned about the low fuel levels in the main tanks as he reminded the captain that, should they go around, they shouldn't use a pronounced pitch or acceleration, as the engine fuel pump intakes might be uncovered, leading to fuel starvation. The approach was going to need careful thought for another reason. With some 60 knots of wind at 1,000 feet, and only 20 knots on the ground, there was going to be some wind shear, but this wasn't the main problem. It is thought that the captain had been hand-flying his aircraft for some time, perhaps the whole flight, as the autopilot had an intermittent fault, and he was almost certainly denied the use of his flight directors during the approach, conducting it on raw data. He would have been tired and under a great deal of stress, considering his fuel state. An everyday rate of descent to maintain a proper path to the runway would not work out on this approach. With a high headwind, his ground speed was much lower than usual, and he would have to fly with a correspondingly lower rate of descent. This the captain failed to do, and on intercepting the glide slope, his aircraft immediately descended below the correct path until the needle was almost at full deflection. His correction was rapid, but on regaining the glide slope, he almost immediately flew low again until, inside two miles, he again had full fly-up indications. With his ground proximity warning system shouting, Whoop, whoop, pull up! multiple times, accompanied with oral glide slope warnings, his distance and low altitude prevented him from seeing the runway, and despite his dire situation, he went around. He had been less than two miles from safety. 
What happened next was almost irrelevant. Their fate had been sealed. On being handed back to the approach controller, the captain told his first officer to advise him we don't have fuel. The first officer acknowledged his instruction to climb to 3,000 feet and added, Sir, we just running out of fuel. Again, the captain told his co-pilot to advise him we are in emergency. The reply was, yes, sir, I already advised him. Whilst being vectored for a second approach, the flight engineer called flame out on engine number four. This was followed by a flame out on number three. The first officer radioed that they had just lost two engines and we need priority. Fifteen miles from the Adamaka, the controller asked if they had fuel to get to the airport, but there was no reply. On the flight recorder, the captain quietly remarked, Amoria, to die. The aircraft came down on a hill in Cove Neck, on the north shore of Long Island. Of the 158 persons on board, 73 were fatally injured, including all three on the flight deck and five of the six cabin crew. The NTSB determined that the cause of the accident was the failure of the flight crew to adequately manage their fuel and their failure to communicate an emergency situation. They also criticised the crew's failure to use the flight following that was available to them to gain advance notice of the problems ahead. Wind shear, crew fatigue and stress also contributed to the accident, as did inadequate traffic flow management by the FAA and the lack of standard understandable terminology for pilots and controllers for minimum and emergency fuel states. However, not all the NTSB board were in full agreement with the findings. One member filed a dissenting statement in which he criticised Washington controllers for failing to inform the crew of additional holding ahead. He also criticised the JFK controllers for failing to forward remarks by the flight crew concerning their fuel situation. He added, Whilst I can accept the argument that such an unsatisfactory service was not causal to this accident, this pattern of substandard service reflects poorly on the air traffic control systems and raises serious safety concerns. Another member dissented and stated, We do have standardised, understandable terminology. Mayday internationally and emergency in English that would have adequately communicated the existence of a dangerous situation and that the pilots failed to use this terminology with the controllers. The Colombian Department of Civil Aeronautics also questioned why the New York Tracon controller accepted an aircraft he had no room for. Had Flight 52 been rejected, it would have had plenty of fuel to make alternative arrangements. In addition, the controllers gave no special meaning to the statement made by the crew that we are running out of fuel, sir. There seemed to have been many opportunities to have saved the lives of the passengers on Avianca Flight 52. 
had the first officer been more forceful and fully explained the situation that they were getting into, instead of imagining that a request for a priority was the same as calling Mayday or declaring an emergency? Had the controllers sought an explanation for the crew's repeated expressions of concern about their fuel state? Finally, despite his age and experience, had the captain's skills been honed enough to land from a difficult but quite flyable raw data ILS, everyone would have walked away safe and well. Wow, what a sad um, incident. And so many things went wrong and so many um, you know, of the holes were aligned in that Swiss cheese uh, model. Very sad. Yeah, that's quite right, Jeff. I mean, there were, uh, we, uh, this is such a cliche nowadays to say there were lessons learned. Yes, there were. I'm not convinced all of them have been learned, though, because uh, um, you know, the air traffic controllers, um, from what I can understand, um, perhaps rightly, because they formally didn't actually do anything wrong, tended to close ranks and say, we did everything that was required. They never declared an emergency. But I'm sure Adam would be there saying, well, hang on a minute. They're, you know, that, that is correct. Uh, but these guys were trying to tell you something and you weren't listening. Uh, they may not have said emergency. They may not have said mayday. But they were certainly trying to indicate something. And uh, you, you just let that go and, um, you know, put them in a, a possible, you know, you didn't take control of their situation and help them through uh, what the, the problems they were having. Um, how the hell did you could only get one guy that was really capable of speaking English on an airplane? I don't understand how that worked. It was 1990, for heaven's sake. It's not like it was a million years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, how the captain, uh, despite the fact he was flying an airplane of an earlier generation where you have to do an awful lot of hand flying, how come he couldn't fly the approach? Yeah. Don't understand. I, I mean, maybe um, the stress level that he was experiencing had something to do with it. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Absolutely. Uh, fatigue and stress might have had something to do with it. But uh, for us, flying an ILS is pretty much a everyday occurrence. So I'm just going, and particularly when it's an important one, like you're short of gas, surely it's not one you're going to mess up. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think the, the major. And we talk about this all the time on the show, you know, communication is so essential and there was just a huge breakdown in communicating what was happening to them. Yeah. This, this, uh, expected, uh, further clearance, uh, he, uh, I remember the term now and I've just been listening to it. Uh, the times that traffic give you when they expect, uh, yeah. A EFC. Clearance out of the hold. yeah. Um, is that, is that, I mean, the NTSB said it was actually uh, only the time at which if you lost radio contact, you would then continue on without. What's the point? I mean, it's, how many aircraft actually lose radio contact in comparison with those that actually need an accurate prediction of when they're going to be able to land so that they can calculate uh, if they have fuel reserves to sit in the hold? Um, and, and whether they ought to be diverting now while they've got a bit of gas in hand. I mean, what's the point of this time that air traffickers uh, there were giving and still do as far as I can see? Yeah. Uh, in my experience, uh, a lot of those EFCs are just 
meaningless. They're kind of just placeholders. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like we have to give you a time because we're required to give you a time. So we're going to say this and then, you know, just yeah. have something on the books. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hard when you know that actually there's still two or three perhaps air traffic controllers to speak to before you get onto the approach. Uh, and this guy's not really giving you any indication as to how long your total flight time is going to be before you get on the ground. I mean, that's for me, that as a, as a captain trying to plan my fuel figures and work out whether I need to divert. And if I know that it's completely impossible for me to get in, I will divert as early as possible so that uh, I can get to where I need quickly, uh, turn the airplane around, get back to my uh, destination when the weather improves or whatever. Right. But if what is the point of having times that mean nothing? On, and why on earth aren't there times that are actually accurate that allows allow us to make these calculations properly? That's, that's the frustrating thing I find. 17 yeah. years down the road, I don't think... Sorry, 27, 1990, yeah, 27 years down the road. I don't think anything's improved. I, um, yeah. I would say that for, in my experience, things have approved, uh, improved a little bit. And it seems to me now, if you're going to do like a double hold situation, like what they were experiencing, uh, the controllers will tell you they're holding here, but they're also, you know, expect to hold at a point further uh, along your route, uh, just to kind of give you a, uh, a heads up. And perhaps that stemmed from this accident. And maybe that's the reason why they, they tend to give you that information. They, they seem to communicate a little bit better in the last, I'd say five plus years or so. Um, in my experience, especially when it comes to these types of situations and also, uh, weather situations, that's another place where, um, they, tend to be a little bit more proactive and alert you to things that they're seeing on their radar. And, uh, you know, where, you know, back in the day, uh, you were pretty much on your own. You know, if you didn't happen to know that there was a thunderstorm out there and didn't have your radar on, you know, you were in for a big surprise. <laughs> well, I'm glad things are on the app. Yeah. But you're right about the EFCs, uh, especially here in the U S that they don't seem to be, they, they seem to be more fairy tale than, actuality uh but it the, uh, the thing it does for me because it's a it's a requirement like you have to it's just part of what has to be done for for a hold so yeah. it's given but you know whether it's accurate or not and if you do lose communications and all of a sudden you right. pass your efc time and there you start doing something that they're not expecting you to do and they can't communicate with you they're going to go okay i know what's happening here and let's you know move everybody out of their way because they're nordo uh, no radio. That's what that stands for. Um, and uh, the thing that it does for me mostly is when I listen to all the other flights and, and hear what their expect further clearance times are, it gives me an idea where I am in the in the line of people trying to get into Kennedy or LaGuardia or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Julie's home. <laughs> <laughs> hey. The button and I, turned, I was about to say something, and of course, <laughs> no. we'll say something. Then, <laughs> you turn the washing machine on. No, the washing machine is home. <laughs> That's yeah. the dishwasher. No, oh, the yes, dishwasher. The dishwasher is home. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's all good now. Yeah. So, what were we going to add, Dana? I no, I forgot about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was really good. Yeah, no, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> it, it is. It is not a good show for me. Ah, uh, it's not a good show no, for I'm, anyone. I'm, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's an awesome show for everybody else. I'm, I'm only kidding. 
Yeah, I, you know, it, 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 it bottom line comes down to, uh, I, I think, you know, we have to stay, stay in contact with the, uh, and be, um, you know, these are things I actually am starting to think about as a cat, as a future captain. I'm starting to think about scenarios like this crash and, and, uh, you know, fuel situations and, you know, what do I need for divert fuel and mm-hmm. how do I handle air traffic control and, and all the other situations because I've been sitting fat, dumb, and lazy for, <laughs> you know, 16 and a half years as, well, a little bit there as a captain at the regional level, but, um, pretty much just been sitting back and kind of, uh, um, just supporting and acting in the, you know, good first officer role and supporting. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to listen to this scenario and, you know, think, and of course, listen to both you and, and Nick and, and think about what I, and how I would react and, and how I would, uh, you know, how aggressive I would be. Cause you know, as a Northeastern, I tend not to be aggressive at all. I'm very quiet and very reserved. Yeah, yeah. I don't tell anybody what I think. So no, yeah, no, no, not at all. So, <laughs> so that, <laughs> yes. that, that's one of those things that, um, you know, some pilots have difficulty with as far as expressing what they need to express and, you know, letting people know, okay, this is what I'm understanding of the situation. I, I love you. I love you too. <laughs> Real love, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Is he drinking again? No, I am not. I have no drink at all. None. Not okay. one. I've only drank water tonight. Yeah, me too. So um anyway, so uh good stuff, good stuff. Um Yeah, it for me I thought it was an interesting one. We've been talking about that poor lass who uh flew uh, her light aircraft uh, repeated attempts to get that onto the, the runway in uh, Houston. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's the one. And how uh, she was really overloaded by air traffic and the the failure of the controller and her to get their poop in a pile and communicate and her ultimate failure to fly the airplane. I thought there were a lot of parallels uh, mm-hmm. in this yep, you're right. between the crew and the air traffic controller and, again, the captain's inability to uh, fly the airplane when he was overloaded. Yeah, good point. A lot of, uh, a lot of parallels there. Um, it just shows you how important human factors really are. You know, It's not just the communication side of things, too. But yep. you know, everything yep. piles on. So Exactly. Yep. Um. You remember Captain Jerry, right? And I do. He how's how's he doing? Have we heard well, any updates on his health situation? Yeah. So I, I got this email from uh, Bruce, and he says, uh, "Hi, Steph, Jeff, Nick, Dana. Wow! Congratulations on over three hundred episodes. That's almost one for every day that Captain Jerry has been in a coma <laughs> oh. since the uh, incident. What, what was it again? The uh, he had some kind of a, a drinking incident or something." Uh, Yes. Yeah. Wasn't it the, um, the kama, kamikaze? Kamikaze. kamikaze yes. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. That Go was well. sad. Anyway. Very nasty. And on that note, Jerry's feedback, you know, Jerry has a show, the, uh, uh, what, what do we call his show or what does he call his show? Um, the airliner flying guy, airliner flying guy. That's it. Airliner flying guy. And, uh, and so apparently because he's been out for a while and hasn't been able to put out an episode, his feedback has just been piling up. So, uh, Bruce was wondering if it would be if we could help him out by playing a piece of audio from one of his listeners. He said it would be great if that was possible, Jeff. 
Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to do that right after uh, I read this next, next paragraph. As for Jerry himself, he has almost tapped out the charity that is looking after him, the Flying Sisters of Mercy Hospital. So if people want to help him, they can visit patronizeme.com, where we have amended his whiskey fund. Now, people can type in airliner flying guy slash whiskey fund slash keep me alive to contribute. Just five dollars will keep him alive for an additional 30 minutes. <laughs> it's not much to ask people. So it's, it's really you need not. a lot of people to donate to keep him alive for what is that? 24 times two is 46 dollars. Uh, will keep him alive for um, a day. Did I do that math right? No, or, no, I didn't do that right. No, um, 24 times five. Oh, oh that's I'm sorry. No, you, no, no, you did it right. You did it right. 12 times. Wait, 30 minutes. No, so. I think you did it right. No, 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 no. It's, I didn't. It's ten dollars an hour, twenty-four hours $10. a day. That's two hundred and forty bucks a day. Yeah, Ooh. that's right. Okay, wow. I had tried to double it there. Yeah, uh, my bad. Anyway, uh, he says you are all an asset to the aviation community and keep up the good work. Okay, so uh, he included this audio feedback that uh, one of Jerry's listeners sent to him on his show. So here we go. Well, hello, Captain Jerry. My name is John Plain and. I thought I'd send you some feedback, and I hope you get better soon. At the moment, I'm over JFK forming a circle with some other airliners. I've heard there's some Comanches in the area. Piper Comanches, that is. Anyway, I think we're okay because they're at a lower flight level. And uh, I've heard that Comanche pilots don't like flying at night anyway. Well, I thought I'd explain to everyone how I got here. I was born John Marion Plain, and Ma wanted me to join her in the hair salon business. Well, I'd work with her on a Saturday, but I tell her customers, I'll wash your hair, but I sure as hell won't blow dry it for you. Well, it wasn't long before I started chasing that dream and became a pilot. I started out flying skydivers. We had one fellow there that wouldn't leave the plane. I went back and reasoned with him. I told him, well, life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. I said to him, now I'm not going to push you out of the plane. The hell I won't. Well, I pushed him out of the plane. And I must have made some miscalculation with the wind because he ended up wrapped around a flagpole. Anyway, when I got down, I told the police to cut that man down. Well, they cut him down, and he seemed okay. Anyway, it, it wasn't long before I managed to join Alpha Airlines, just like you, Jerry. I met their exacting standards, and, and I got to fly the Mad Dog, just like you. You know, I believe a pilot ought to be able to wrestle a plane to the ground. We had this... English guy flying with us once, uh, Vic or Nick or something. Well, he couldn't handle the Mad Dog, and he went off to fly one of those fancy French airbuses. Last I heard. When are you going to stop flapping those gums and land this damn thing? Well, don't pay him, no, never mind. That's just Rusty, my F.O. Well, I guess it's time to say adios, Jerry. And I uh, sure hope you get better. Could you be more annoying?
That just sounds like my interactions with my first officers. <laughs> Could you wow. be any more annoying? No. <laughs> just kidding. That's what, that's what this saying to you. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so, uh, you know what, you know, what is amazing about this is the feedback that he gets is very similar to the feedback that we get. It's, it's just crazy. The parallels. Yeah. And you just, um, just change the names. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that was great. Uh, so it was good to hear. At least we, we couldn't, we didn't hear from Captain Jerry. We're all, you know, praying for Captain Jerry to recover. you can pull through this, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I hope that we don't have to play another, you know, piece of his audio feedback from his listeners uh, in the future so that, you know, Jerry can get back on track and start cranking out those episodes. But anyway, yeah. that was interesting, I thought. It was great fun. Yeah. Fun. Uh, let's see. You ever heard of this guy named Glenn from, uh, oh, by the way, oh, he was going to, he's going to talk about it here in the uh in his feedback. So I'll address that here after we play Glenn from Wellington. Hello, my fellow APG syndrome sufferers. It's Glenn Towler here from New Zealand with some feedback. Uh, Wellington, New Zealand, which is actually in the North Island, Jeff, or are you saying the office in the South Island? But anyway. Um, yeah. I was seeing a lot of stuff on social media about, uh, people are sick of, uh, emotional support animals and fake service animals on airlines in the US. I'm just so glad we don't actually have this, that's such a thing in New Zealand. We, uh, you bring an animal onto the plane, it goes in the hold and that's it. No, you know, but anyway, uh, yeah, of course the, the best way to get rid of this is to, uh, airlines are char- charging fees. You want to bring your dog, pet pig, pet turkey, pet, Shetland pony, yeah, that'll be fifty bucks, please. And as soon as they start doing that, all these emotional support animals will just disappear like fog on a summer's day. And uh, it's just a matter of time before one of these animals does something really stupid or attack someone. Or so it's just a ridiculous farce. It's a fad and a fashion, and it, and it needs to stop. It's just it's just ridiculous. Anyway, that's my uh, 10 cents worth. Um, I hope to see you all in the chat room on the next episode of APG. Uh, Merry Christmas, if you hear this beforehand. Uh, Glenn out. Well, thank you, Glenn, for the uh, holiday greetings, and uh, we hope that you had a great Christmas as well. And I, I know that Glenn was with us in the chat room earlier. I don't know if he's still there or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think he's just at the top of the thing there. Yeah, and okay. uh, yeah, couldn't agree more, uh, Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Well, get rid of the damn things. Wasn't there an incident not too long ago? Where, uh, where a service animal caused a problem? Yeah, attacked the passenger. I, I, didn't talk, I think we, I think we talked about that on the show. As a matter oh, fact. okay. Was that yeah. the crocodile? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it the turkey? Was there a turkey? <laughs> I think the turkey behaved himself. I think herself. Yeah. yeah. So I, there I is it. a charge to bring a pet on the aircraft. You know, even yeah. if you're gonna. But what if it's an emotional support but animal? Do you do you get charged? That's different. Probably no, you not. do not because, because the, it's a service animal. Yeah, it falls under the umbrella of service animal. They're not yeah, service they animals. Under the ADA and. Uh, they would be completely up in arms. If the American Dental Association? No. 
American Disability Act. Oh, yeah. It's a different That's ADA. Right. I'm sorry. Yes. Those dentists are very concerned with your, <laughs> with your uh, emotional well-being. Emo- your emotional teeth. well-being because your, teeth, your teeth have holes in them from all the candy we eat. But no, there was a, there was a dog that attacked uh, this, like a, uh, a service, uh, you know, a I don't know if it was a service animal. I think it was an emotional assist animal attacked the person next to them and ended up suing Acme uh, Acme Atlanta here. And um, and uh, I don't know where, where it is in litigation, but hmm. it, it actually happened on the aircraft. It was all over the news. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Crazy. I think I've told, and we I've talked told about before it. about uh, I actually had a patient a long time ago, not recently. Unfortunately, it hasn't happened in a long time with a small emotional support dog that every time I went near the patient to actually examine the patient, the dog growled at me. So the patient did not really get examined that day. We'll just say, yeah, that doesn't work out very well. Not really. Every it time you try to touch the patient, the <laughs> patient doctor relationship. <laughs> so yeah, I could, oh, never mind. Yeah. I mean, just craziness, you know, and, and Lane's right. You know, the, the, this kind of really, not kind of, it really does do a, a huge disservice to the true service animals out there and people who do need assistance. Yep. So we all agree. Um, Corey writes in, uh, Hey, ABG crew, it's Corey cave again. Uh, Dr. Steph knows Corey met up with him in Charlotte, formerly pipeline pilot guy. Now regional pilot guy. First off, I have to correct myself from a question I asked Last feedback where I asked you if you could identify my airline by its symbol, Speedbird, the American one. Well, the symbol is actually a pacemaker, not a Speedbird. But in the end, you all got it right. Well, a quick update. For the past three months since I started Indoc with my regional, I've been on paid vacation due to a slight delay in the training schedule. Although I wanted to start as soon as possible, this gave me a great opportunity to use my flight benefits to the fullest, such as Ireland and Hawaii. Well, today, 12-26-2017, also known as my birthday, I'm happy to say I just received my award email to start systems for the Embraer 145. I start January 8th in Charlotte and will be there for three weeks and possibly five, depending on SIM availability at that location. Dr. Steph, I hope to have another meetup, and if any of the crew happens to be in Charlotte, it would be great to meet you, too. Uh, congrats on 300 episodes. I look forward to many more. One quick question is, is it natural to be a little confused on learning the systems when you've never seen the aircraft and for that matter, have no jet experience? I have the flows, limitations, emergency action items down and still working on the finishing up of the uh, AOM. Is that the aircraft um, operator's manual? I guess that's what that stands for. Um, any more tips would be great. Thanks. I hope you all had a great holiday season, Corey. Uh, well, first of all, Corey, uh, thanks for updating us on your progress. And that's good to hear that you're going to be uh, starting training soon. And I'll certainly uh, you know, let you know if I end up uh, in Charlotte anytime this month or next. And um, can't speak for Dr. Steph. Yeah, I'll be around. You've picked, um, gosh, I've got a bunch of time where I'm actually not in town, but shoot me a message. Um, as you did before, and we'll see if we can't work something out. I'm sure there'll be time we can get together. Yeah, over three weeks. So that'd be fun. Record a little yeah. bit of, you know. Yeah, we can do that. Show. Sure. Um, so, is it 
Is it natural to be a little confused on learning the systems? Yeah, you know, it used to be in the old days. Uh, I don't know if Dana, you probably, uh, well, you were a ground training instructor, weren't you? I sure was. So he remembers these days when you'd go to learn a new airplane and you'd spend a couple of weeks at least uh, in classroom with people like Dana teaching you systems of airplanes or whatever. And you could like go through and go, uh, excuse me, uh, I'm confused. I don't understand what you're telling me here. Can you kind of explain that a little bit more, elaborate on this or whatever? Uh, and, uh, you know, you could work it out that way. Nowadays, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, these people like Dana, ground instructors, ground training folks, um, they're too expensive. So they send us uh, compact disks or even little USB keys to stick in our computers. And we do all our training and learning using computer-based training, which is definitely not to the same level of of effectiveness, in my opinion. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah. the I mean, some of it. Some of it depends on the depends on the learner a little bit because there are those who will do better with self study. But I think for instances like this, where you have a completely new subject matter and it is not always just a theoretical exercise, you know, it's not just a, a mental exercise. These are actual physical systems, and you need to know how they work. Uh, in person is probably at least part of what you need to get you through that. Well, you know, it used to be just like what Jeff said. It was a 12-day course, um, at least on my airplane equipment. And it was uh, it was, it was was not only uh, classroom taught, but also it was, uh, it was practical application of, of what you've learned. So, in other words, you come in, we talk about a particular system, let's say just pick electrical. Then we go over to the CAPT, and then we actually put – our hands on the electrical system, flip the switches, watch what happens. Um, and that's the way it went through for 12 days. And you come back next day and review that system. So it really did uh, a, a service to go ahead and enforce uh, the knowledge level of the pilots that were out there to not build the airplane necessarily, but understand what it's doing. And I think that's really a lost art at this point because people are coming through with this very regimented, um, training program that just teaches you uh, the very, very basics. And I've actually had a situation, um, pardon the cough, I had a situation where we were coming out of D.C. and heading to uh, Minneapolis shortly after the merger, and we uh, we were coming climbing out and lost of airflow across heat exchanger. I looked at you know I looked at the pack and we had one pack MEL the other pack was was supposedly operational we get low airflow but we have no other indication in the cockpit except for low airflow. Well, immediately in my mind it's lost flow air loss of airflow across the heat exchanger. Captain looked at me and said, "What in the world is that? I have no idea. Where do I go? What procedure? What's happening?" I'm looking. I'm like, uh, "You're the captain. You should know this." But he just come through training off the Boeing product and had never experienced the Mad Dog product before. So he didn't, that's the level of knowledge that they're just teaching the surface stuff. That's just advanced knowledge that you have knowing the aircraft um, or it being taught properly. So to me, uh, yeah, I mean, again, comes back to the actuaries and the people in the insurance office and legal teams figuring out what they can get away with uh, on a numbers basis. And, you know, hopefully everything works out. Okay. And so far it has. Uh, 
I just hope it continues to go that way. So I, I think uh, I, th- I think it's a lost lost uh, a lost art uh, for everybody, and and it kind of goes on to what we were talking about earlier, and that is is you know it's a complete picture. You have to have the complete picture to fly the airplane, understand what it's doing, uh, be able to manually fly it, be able to fly it via the autopilot, via you know think about all the scenarios that you have. So I think that's a big piece of what we're missing now in, in, in our, uh, our endeavors moving forward. Yeah, I quite agree. I remember my jet engines course. I think there were three slides. The first one said you suck it in the front. The second one said you set light to it. And then the third one was you blow it out the back. Suck, squeeze, bang, blow. There we go. Yeah, you missed no, a step. No, there's no bang. I don't remember there being a bang slide. <laughs> it was combined with the fire. It was a squeeze slash bang slide, yeah. maybe. Slash bang. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Family show. <laughs> anyway, so uh, to, um, uh, to summarize, no, it is not unusual, and it is a natural thing in today's learning environment and learning methods to be somewhat confused. And hopefully you'll be able to, when you go into the actual training, just take, you know, one of the instructors aside and look and say, you know, I, I did the, the course online and everything else, but I'm having trouble understanding like this. I don't get this. And um, if it's a good instructor, they'll be able to straighten it out for you. And you go, well, oh. and here's the important point, Jeff, on that is that we all go through and, and, and go and plod through the course um, but if you don't write down the questions that you have, you might forget to ask them. Mm-hmm. So always write down uh, what you're what you're you're having a problem with or tr- having trouble understanding. Just like if you go to a doctor's office, you always want to write down the problems and issues. So you f- don't forget to talk about them because that's uh, you know it's a very limited opportunity now. It's not a long time that you get to sit there and talk to an instructor. So yeah, yeah, and hopefully once uh, I mean. Once you have your eyes on the aircraft and get back into that training environment, hopefully those pieces that are missing kind of come together a little bit more for you. I know that they will. So yeah, and that's kind of the intent of how this works now. But if it doesn't, like Dana said, have those questions written down. Be specific about well, Wait them. a minute. Isn't Corey the guy you were telling me about stuff that said, you said something like, you know, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer or something <laughs> like his elevator no, doesn't go all the way to the top floor. No, oh, somebody not. else. I'm not talking about the same people. Of course. <laughs> We're guy. just kidding, Corey. Top of the class. Top <laughs> she, of the class. You know, Steph would never say anything like that about anybody. So I mean, <laughs> even, if, even if it were true. Well, except for me <laughs> behind my back. But, you know, that's you know, goes without saying. <laughs> Today. <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially me. <laughs> I actually believe that. Okay. Well, um, I, I don't want to digress on anything, but Lane's earlier uh comment on ESAs due to the true service animals is a huge disservice. I'm just was think, sitting here thinking a while back saying, well, do we have that many people that are just that screwed up in this country? Yes. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I need to say no more. I just, I thought about it. I was like, I got to say something. Like that. Yeah. Well, we have that many people that have that many mental issues. In this sadly, country. I think yes is the answer to that. Sadly. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I saw on TV yesterday, Robert Irvine, I don't know if, you know, people mm-hmm. from non us, uh, uh, TV watching markets might not know who he is, but he's a, a celebrity chef that was in the, uh, English, uh, service that, uh, be, you know, became very, 
popular over here in the states, along with like Guy Fieri and so forth, Food Network and so forth. And now he has a show, just like uh, you know, sits down and talks to people like. uh, what's that guy's Dr. name? Doctor Phil. Phil and, and <laughs> oh Jerry Springer. I'm thinking, yeah. what does he know anything about these family issues other than he knows how to cook? I mean, what is wrong with this country? <laughs> we we only have another don't five hours that, to. Don't that <laughs> That's a rhetorical yeah, question. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I just had to bring it up because we were talking. Yeah, about just that. had to bring it up, didn't you? Sorry. Yeah. No. I, I digress. Yeah. I'll All shut right. up now. No. Uh, good points you're making there. Very, very good points. Hey, you ever heard of this guy? Um, He's a longtime APG community member and uh, involved. In fact, he's a a co-host of another great aviation podcast, the Plane Talking UK podcast. Nev sent us some audio feedback. Hi, Jeff and all the APG crew. It's Nev here. And I've got a question about wind. No, not that sort. But remember we talk about quite regularly on the show crosswind limits and tailwind limits and a tailwind limit might be, you know, seven to ten knots in some cases and a crosswind or a demonstrated crosswind limit might be uh, 25 to 33 knots, something like that. I'm interested to know about what are the headwind limitations, if any. Obviously, landing with a headwind is exactly what you want, and I would imagine that you can um, have quite strong headwinds uh, for that, uh, for your uh, operations. But I'd be interested to know what are the limits for the headwinds? And I've seen some uh, GA aircraft certainly landing into wind previously with some very strong uh, headwinds. And it appears that the aircraft is virtually stationary. Obviously, on the commercial jet transport, it's a different story, I would imagine. But I wonder what your limits are, Jeff, on on the Mad Dog and also for Nick uh, on the A330 and A340. Just be interested to hear anyway. Thanks very much indeed. Well, Nev, great question, because we usually are speaking of uh, crosswind limits as uh, wind uh, limitations. And the only time that that comes into play on the Mad Dog that I can recall is if you're uh, trying to perform an auto land. And we do have a specific limitation, uh, 25 knots maximum headwind for the uh auto flight system to auto land the uh, airplane. But as if you're not See, doing Jeff, it, you don't need to study. Yeah. You, you already know it. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the page in the QRH. Is that well. just more so because the auto land system doesn't know what to do with the headwind once? I think so. It's just, it was manage like, it. just certified Speed-wise. with these certain parameters. And, gotcha. you know, maybe if they had flown it into a 30 or 35 knot headwind and it performed okay, then maybe they'd say, okay, you can do, go up to that. So it's kind of a maybe it's a demonstrated, I guess. But ability. for us, it's actually a, a, it's it's a not only right, that, right. but it's a limitation. Limitation, um, yep. yeah. Um, but as far as if you're not doing an auto land on the Mad Dog, there is, as far as I know, Dana, there's no limitation to the headwind. In fact, I've fly, <laughs> I've landed in some pretty high headwinds, um, and uh, almost uncomfortable. The thing that when you get into the really high headwinds is it's usually going to be associated with uh, pretty significant turbulence and wind shear. And uh, so that's the thing that usually is a limitation is, you know, when they're, when they're calling out wind shear advisories or wind shear alerts and that kind of thing. Well, Uh, in a, uh, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say in a GA aircraft, the only limitation might be if it's actually a stronger wind than your approach speed. (laughs) You don't want to be going backwards on final. You don't practice landing backward. 
<laughs> haven't yet. <laughs> yeah. I hope you never do. I hope not either. That would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a very good question. It's really more of a component of the crosswind uh, versus the headwind. So if the component is not greater than the maximum crosswind, then you're fine. And so it, it, depending on the degree of, of the, uh, the nose uh, of how much of a headwind versus crosswind limitation, I have actually was very surprised when they did it, but went ahead and flew down to Nassau when they were, were experiencing uh, the end of a Cat 1 hurricane, but the winds were reported and uh, right down the runway, so it was basically going down a tropical depression. Approach speed in the Mad Dog was, uh, with flaps 28, was approaching the 90-knot uh, realm over the ground. So uh, when we landed, I think it was if I remember correctly, it was 48 gusting to 50 something knots, but it was smack dab right on the right on the nose. And it was a smooth ride, just that ground speed was incredibly low. Mm-hmm. And I made a tax, we made a ta- the taxi away, I think it's hotel, which is, you know, less than 3,000 feet down the runway because we're, our ground speed was so low. So it, it can be done. Yeah, I remember that, you know, that shorter runway that's uh, uh, more of a north-south runway. At, um, uh, it's, a, it's an airport in Pennsylvania, big city. Allentown? Um, um, no. <laughs> Philadelphia. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why I can't remember Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Philadelphia has a, uh, that, that short uh, uh, north-south runway that crosses uh, the two sevens and the nines. Mm-hmm. And, Three five. Um, yeah, is it three five and one seven? Um, in the seven twenty seven, they had they're experiencing one of the nor'easters up there, and uh, the the winds were completely out of limits for any of the runways except for that one. And we were landing one uh, seven, and uh, I don't remember exactly how long the runway is, but it's maybe five thousand five hundred feet or something. I'll look it up while you're talking about yeah. it. Yeah, it's pretty I, short. It, yeah, it's pretty short. And uh, but we had uh, the same kind of wind that Dana was just talking of. Um, and the, to, to the airplane, it was, it may have been, it, it should have been, or, or to the airplane, it was a 10,000, 15,000 foot runway because we landed and didn't Stop. even use half the runway. <laughs> 6501. Okay. Well, you know that I think they must've lengthened it because it, it seems to me it was shorter than that because, uh, cause we were all remarking, can we, are we legal to land on that runway? Because it was much shorter than DCA at the time and LaGuardia. So, um, I don't know. Anyway, um, it was uh, very interesting to plop it down and then just kind of, you know, leave the runway about halfway down and you're going, wow, that was a strong wind to be able to do that. But good question, Nev. Uh, and, and Nick, um, same thing for the, uh, the Airbuses? Never had any problems uh, with excessive headwind until you get on the ground. Um, and then uh, I landed into Shanghai and a an approaching typhoon and uh, we spent an hour sitting because uh, they, they didn't give us a remote parking spot and the aircraft was moving around too much one the wind was too strong to open the doors and two they couldn't put a set of stairs up against the aircraft because the aircraft was like bucking bronco oh, it was, yeah they were passengers being sick because the aircraft was moving so much in the wind gusts uh, and they couldn't put stairs up because it might have damaged the airframe. Uh, so we sat there for an hour and trying to work out how to get the passengers off. 
and eventually uh, some brave uh, Japanese soul uh, strapped his kamikaze uh, headband on and got his 777 airborne and that put us uh gave us a spot against the terminal so we could uh, we got towed to the terminal in the lee of the building uh things calmed down enough for us to uh connect a jetway but uh yeah that's the, no there's no uh, there's no headwind limit that i'm ever aware of but uh, our door limit is uh 40 knots uh unless you're into wind in which case it's 60 knots the door limit yeah the wow. limit on the the wind limit on opening the doors. That's that's high. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we're Airbus, good airplane. Well, you know, the, the kind of doors you have are ones that kind of like stay into the fusel- go into the fuselage, right? They don't kind of swing out, or do they? Yeah, they do. They go out. Yeah. Oh, huh. well, there you go. Brought to you by Airbus nice. Incorporated. Um, I don't know if a limit on ours. Yeah, as long as the gust lock. Yeah, works. we have to have the gust lock uh, to. Uh, yeah, operate the airplane. That will that will down the airplane. Um, let's see. The gust lock, by the way, is a little device that holds the when we swing out the door. Uh, it actually hooks into a a little hole slot into the uh, fuselage, and there's a latching mechanism, and it kind of keeps the door from moving until you unlatch it. Um, kind of like the you know a gate. You know, have those little things where you you kind of move the you, know, you put a padlock on it or something like that. You no. No, not even close. Not even close. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a hook and pin. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, I think we have time to, to do another piece of audio fa- feedback. Take it away, John. Hey, Captain Jeff. I've probably listened to around 80 podcasts in the last two months. And needless to say, my property management job would not be quite as enjoyable without hearing your banter with the crew. I've always wanted to become a pilot as a life goal. And while I just turned 31, I have decided that the aviation career is the career for me. I began taking flight lessons in October 2016, and in less than three months, I had completed my PPL checkride. Fast forward 11 months. I now have 250 hours just past my instrument checkride and have a job offer as a CFI, tour pilot, and banner tow pilot at the local airport. I would like to clear up something that Dr. Steph alluded to in last week's episode. You see, I live on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, And what she said about crosswind landings here, they can be very humbling. But I do love a good challenge. After all, you can always go around. Landing at Dare County Regional or first flight will almost always keep a Cessna 150 pilot on his toes. Especially with the preponderance of deer, coyote, and flocks of geese and seagulls that like to make a habitat out of the runways. One last thing. I mentioned I just got my instrument rating. Well, I happen to be doing that at KSOP in Southern Pines, North Carolina. As I was taking my final approach to landing, the examiner mentioned getting lunch at BQ-1. Seeing as how I like to eat, I became interested in the mysterious BQ-1. In last week's episode, Dr. Steph mentioned this 36-foot-wide runway that led to a magical restaurant called The Pick and Pig. Seriously, Dana, you've got to visit this place. Probably the best Carolina barbecue I've ever had. Just one question for the crew. I'm planning to build my hours at the local airport and hopefully get on with a regional airline and make my way to the big leagues. I have a bachelor's degree, a wife and baby who are both very supportive of my big dreams. Do you have any advice for somebody in my shoes as far as what to look for in their first airline gig? Hope everyone is well and keep up the good work as it keeps my sanity when I'm not in the air. Friendly skies, John. Well, John, congratulations, by the way, for... uh 
your your progress and uh, all the ratings yeah, and such. He's doing well, isn't he? Yeah. Excellent, and uh, I'll have to go try that restaurant out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of great reviews. Uh, one Dr. Stuff and now John. Hey, can't beat Carolina barbecue. It's excellent. Well, he said it was like the best, some of the best Carolina barbecue. Yeah. But yeah, is there any I, other kind of barbecue? Oh, yeah, that's much better barbecue. <laughs> that's I'll just, just leave that conversation Barbecue there. wars. Moving on. Moving, moving, moving. <laughs> we can talk about That's, that's the show we're going to start like next. <laughs> it's like, what do these guys know about barbecue? They just fly airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, well, yeah, my, my, my advice to you, John, is to pick the airline or the opportunity that is going to possibly afford you the fastest upgrade um, because the reality is is you need to have that turbine 121 PIC. So you, you have to have the minimums to be able to upgrade. I don't know what they are now. I think that it depends on, I can't, I don't know the numbers. It's 2000 hours or 2,500 hours worth of, uh, of time on, on a new captain, or maybe I'm misspeaking. I don't know. Of course, the show is always about exact numbers. Yes. But anyways, uh, you know, look at that. Uh, you know, look at your commute. If it's uh, if you're living on the uh, or choose to stay in the northern North Carolina area, it might be very difficult for you to go work for somebody like PSA or I mean a uh, SkyWest out on the uh, on the West Coast. And you, so you look at your commute and uh, look look at that upgrade opportunity. Don't look at the short term stuff. You know, there are good companies out there. There are bad companies out there. There's a lot of rhetoric out there, but the bottom line is get in there, uh, build your time, have a positive attitude, um, do some extra stuff if you can, uh, if you're there long enough. Um, that would be, uh, i.e., apply, for, be a line check airman or, or, or volunteer, do some volunteer work, all stuff you can put on your on your resume to help your chances to uh, to get on with a with a, with a with the major now, uh, some of the fast, faster track airlines, uh, you know, s- such as the ones that are associated with the majors, you might want to look at one other thing, and that is, um, do, is there a, a flow through agreement? So once you get hired on with that uh, at that airline at the regional airline, do they have a flow through in current uh, in current with the uh, mother company? To, um, uh, Acme has one particular company that uh, is actively uh, flow through. So you want to take a look at that as well, but you're going to find that your upgrade times at those airlines are probably going to be significantly higher. Although anything right now in the regional business, uh, from what I understand from my friends that work over at uh, mini Acme here in Atlanta, that it's going away. Uh, they haven't been able to fill classes for, for a long time. As we, we heard from, um, um, Oh my God! I'm having a brain fart. We we just had him on the on the show, my buddy. Oh, uh, he was, he was yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you uh, talking? Oh, Matt, you're talking about Matt Lauer. Uh, Matt, Matt, Matt Lauer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was he was over. You know, he would be an excellent person to talk to right now about yeah. that. But he he would be able to tell you that they were unable to fill uh, the classes over there at Acme Baby, and uh, they're having a lot of problems with that. So, uh, you know, just just. <laughs> I was he was telling me some stories that they had actually go out and to places like 
you know, uh, like FBOs at airports in the middle of nowhere and like do cold calling like salesmen say, uh, what, what would you think about maybe uh, flying for a living? I mean, that yeah. that's the that's level that they're, I was like, I, you're kidding me. And he goes, no, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> It, it, yeah, it, it's, it, it's funny occasionally i get like flyers recruitment flyers in the the mail still uh-huh. i think they just have a list of you know pilots out there who are commercial multi-engine instrument rated and they just go through every once in a while and send off mailers so we got it we got to convince you, steph that this is what you need to do hey, hey steph <laughs> you want to hear something even more funny what's that i get them you get them still <laughs> I've well, they're already, just thinking. They're just thinking ahead, thinking. Well, you know, how long is he really going to last at uh, a major airline? Yeah, major. <laughs> Why would you want to? Stay He's going to want to come back. To this. Yeah, he wants to come back to the regional. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it it is amazing to me. I, I think it might be because I'm still an active CFI, but uh, you know, oh, yeah, the, the, the 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 real deal is 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 that Alpa has tried to make an argument that it's a financial issue at the shortage. And I agree to a certain extent because it's not the financial uh, motivation per se for, for somebody to become a career changer, like, like who, you know, John, we're talking about Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, for a long time, if last 10 years with the stagnation after September 11th and the bankruptcies and the age 65 rule, uh, there, there wasn't a lot of growth. You, you know, I, I got a buddy of mine, Matt. He's a, a regional pilot. It's been there uh, just over 11 years as a first officer stuck. Hmm. Imagine 11 years after you spent $150,000 getting all your ratings, 11 years of making less than 40 grand a year. Uh, you know, that, that math doesn't work out very well. So that there was a lot, of, a lot of negativity and stagnation because of it. So it's starting to come around a little bit. I think you know people sat and see that the opportunities are finally there, that the 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 growth is there, that they're not going to get stuck at the regional. So there might be a a slight uptick in in the training, but uh, it's it's been it it's a big it is definitely a big problem. Yeah, and whether it's because of lack of pay and benefits or some other reason, the bottom line, practically speaking, is there is a shortage of qualified people to uh, to put in these cockpits, especially for those regionals, the small regionals especially. And I think what that comes down to for you too, John, is that you really are going to have your pick. So like Dana said, you know, look at the things that are important in the long run that are going to get you where, to where you want to be the fastest and then everything else is, you know, for a large to large extent, probably personal preference from there in terms of different you know, slightly different benefits at one place versus another versus, um, you know, where you want to be living and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. Definitely. 121 time is 121 time. Period. Doesn't matter what you're flying. Don't, don't look at Don't have airplane envy. You know, look at this, you know, a, uh, um, a 135, 145 versus a, uh, you know, one nice, 195, 175, which are, not, you know, newer, nicer aircraft. It, it, it really doesn't matter. You know, what Dr. Seth just said, uh, you know, your cost, cost of doing business uh, at a regional, if you're commuting and you're stuck commuting to New York at a regional first officer pay, good luck. Yeah. It doesn't matter how it, fancy and new your little airplane is at a place like that, you know, you, yeah, you just can't afford to live. So, but if you want to, if you want to commute to Newark and, 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 and do that, then, you know, you, your upgrade may be, you know, eight months a year. I mean, it, 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 but it, it's, it's all relative. So just, uh, it's about all I have to say on it. Best of luck. And hopefully we'll see you, uh, see you in Acme in a couple of years. 
All right. Excellent. Thank you for giving the great advice, uh, Steph and uh, uh, Dana. Um, let's see. I think this is going to be our last piece of uh, feedback, perhaps. Um, Colonel Jeff sent this in. We heard from Colonel Jeff earlier with his audio feedback. He sent in some non-audio feedback, and it's, it's very complimentary, I think. Uh, he says, Jeff, I, I'd heard that uh, Delta didn't hire some of the best pilots, but needing flight lessons from a bird? And I thought, what is he talking about here? And so this is a story that uh, happened um, just not too long ago. An unexpected stowaway forced a Delta flight to turn around late Saturday morning. Delta flight 1943 from Detroit to Atlanta had to return to Detroit shortly after takeoff because a small sparrow had snuck into the cockpit, according to airport officials. The feathered culprit slipped on the plane during boarding and then made its way into the cockpit where the captain became aware of the nuisance. And they're talking about the Sparrow, not the first officer. Um, Maintenance crews were called in to help look for the bird, but it was so small, neither the crews nor the captain could find it after searching for more than an hour and delaying the flight at least that long. The pilot initially announced to passengers that they may need to do a plane swap after they were unable to locate the bird, but ultimately decided to proceed as scheduled and fly the plane to Atlanta. Well, not as scheduled. I guess they were running a little bit late. Um, A passenger on board had said, Literally an hour into the flight, the captain made another announcement to the crew and passengers. I have an update that the bird is back and it's going a little nuts in here in the cockpit and we do not feel safe continuing on this flight. So we're going back to Detroit. This is from passenger Brian Buonanissi. <laughs> That's a Buonanissi. There we go. Told the uh, Detroit media outlet. Once the plane landed back in Detroit, crews were able to find the bird and safely remove it from the plane. The flight continued on to Atlanta after a long delay. Some passengers had to rebook flights because the delay caused them to miss their connections. Um, anyway, um, I don't How know. How long if, does it take to go so, from Detroit to Atlanta? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I think that this was a quote literally an hour into the flight. And I'm thinking, Dana, how long is it from Detroit to Atlanta? Like one hour and 20 something minutes or something? Yeah, but usually about an hour and 20 something. Yeah, so I doubt that this statement from Maybe the passengers is accurate. They back from the, the gate if they spent a lot of time on the ground. That could be, yes. But not an hour into the flight uh, because they would be much closer to, they would be on descent into Atlanta at that point. One would have to say the places for the birds. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> There we go. That deserved that. <laughs> oh, man. And thank you for the compliment. Uh, well, you know, we don't fly for Delta. We fly for Acme. So, yeah, we agree. Those idiots. Um, no, I'm just kidding. They're not idiots. That, that would be a very distracting thing to have a bird flapping around. I can't even imagine. Have you ever had a bird like in your house or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they go crazy. Yeah, it's they go dangerous. nuts because they're stuck in there and then they're making a racket and doing all kinds of crazy things. So I yeah. can only imagine in a small enclosed <laughs> environment while you're trying to work and do your job. Yeah. Okay. One more. Safely. Yeah, you know, I, just, you didn't... I just see dinner. Break its head off. <laughs> That's a very small little much, snack, much, much. actually. But lots yeah. of protein. Yeah. Which I'm eating a lot of or trying to at least because it has something to do with muscle growth or something. I don't know. Um, let's see. Josh. <laughs> writes from Tulsa. This will be the last one, I promise. Hey, you know, we missed the show last week or we didn't have one, so we're we're going a little bit longer now just to kind of help make up for it. And we don't want anybody suffering the APG syndrome out there, right? So um, Josh sent this in. I'm going to have to uh, invoke the um, 
the uh, what do you call it the echo button because I I did, didn't load it up in the uh, in the iPad, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna see how this works here. Justin George, again, call sign Hollywood. Good to have you on board. I will tell you right up front a bold statement. In all your travels, I would be exactly the captain that you have been looking for. And we're going to back that up, of course, with a lot of performance. Lots to talk about, but I will be succinct. All good news for Jamaica travelers today. Beautiful day to fly, and the weather uh, at the moment is a little overcast. But in two hours and 20 minutes, according to our flight time, that should clear out. Currently 80 degrees down there in the islands. Uh, the performance we talked about, I am known for taking care of my passengers, my air crew, and my airplane, no matter what the situation. And I do that by not taking shortcuts, not interested in compromises. I will not listen to excuses up here. I have been flying these airplanes for 40 years total. Do not be confused about my call sign. I have indeed acted in four films. But my primary joy in life is flying these airplanes. Ten years of that was the United States Navy. I flew wartime missions in peacetime, all off of aircraft carriers, USS Nimitz. Passed over 400 landings during that period. That took me to northern Africa, parts of the Middle East, and some missions that will have to remain undisclosed. Also, 30-year anniversary, Delta Airlines this year. That has taken me to six of the seven continents, most major and medium population centers throughout the world. I have flown the biggest airplanes that exist on the Delta property. Occasionally, I might look at some of the smaller ones. The summation of all this, I really know what I'm doing, and I really will take care of you. Humor is always welcome. These flights are personal. We're going to treat them as such. There's a little likeness to the proceedings. Also, I run a cabin with mutual respect. We treat you nice, you treat us nice, do it to that neighbor. Not really an advanced concept, that's daily operations here at Delta Airlines. So I hope I pass the audition this afternoon. We're going to go anyway. And you ease into it back there. I'm Captain George. I'll take care of the business of your ticket. And I have got you. I'm out. Oh, my God. What? What? That literally <laughs> made me want to vomit. <laughs> it was cringe. It was extremely. Cr- I heard a, a PA very. Sim- it may have been this guy, very similar to this, on the one of the com frequencies. I think I was making a PA, and I thought to myself, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, it's bad enough to do it on a com free, but I'm thinking this guy's actually. This is what his PAs sound like. Can you imagine being? That guy's first officer, co-pilot. Oh my god! I would want, it, it, for, it's like the, the airplane movie that trip? where they're like hanging themselves in the sea. Oh my god! And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Never mind his FO. Imagine being his wife. Well, maybe that's why he flies a lot. (laughs) You're assuming a lot there. But, you know, he did act in four movies. And that's why he he calls himself Captain Hollywood. Yes. I thought it was just somebody being facetious after listening to this um, recording of this PA. But I didn't realize that the guy would actually call himself that. Hey, he needed a cool call sign nickname. I be and, captain of it. And I saw something airliner. out there. Uh, I don't know if it was something uh, that some somebody sent to us or not, but they were it made it sound like they thought that this was really cool. <laughs> Thinking, "Oh, you're kidding me. Please please be facetious about this. This is this is not appropriate uh, in the least and it would seem to me that most people would think I I need to get off this airplane. <laughs> that would this is a psycho. Up there. Like oh. I'll have to get the next flight to Jamaica. Thanks. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I know. That's really. That you can what else can you say? Wow. Wow. So <laughs> Nick, is, is this is this what your your PA sound like? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I know for sure oh. that Nick would not sound like that at all. Wow. Uh, mine are much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about tooting your own horn, man. You should hear this yeah. Nick guy. This Captain hey, Nick. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's pretty sickening, quite honestly. It is really sickening. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, the, the sad thing is he probably doesn't realize it. No. He probably thinks all. he's the bee's knees and his PAs are great and everyone loves him. And yeah, well, there you go. It's guys like that that really give us a, a bad name. But really, uh, I think well, I could put this hat on with the wings and the little sentences, <laughs> Captain America. There you go. That's <laughs> you should. That's what you should wear. When you make- your, your call sign when you upgrade to yeah. Captain. I'll, I'll be Captain America here. We're going to go to the bar and have some have some beer at the bar, <laughs> throw some dots at the dartboard, eat some chowder. Yeah. And I'm going to take a ride in the car down the Harvard Yard and, and check out some gals and drink some soda and get some jimmies on my ice cream. There you go. <laughs> You've never said that before, have you? No, I never said that at a party either. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I thought I'd close the show with that little gem. Um, thank you, Josh. For Thanks. You've completely spoiled my whole day. <laughs> You're not hungry anymore. No. Um, so Josh says uh, uh, he hopes everybody had a great Christmas. He, I came across this little gem on a forum earlier, and he says, is Captain Jeff going Hollywood now? <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound like me. And. If I ever made a PA like that, I'd ask somebody to just go ahead and shoot me, please. Oh, you should you should see him when he does his hair before he makes the PA, his brushing it. Yeah, <laughs> like they're going to see stash. me. <laughs> brushing the stash, making sure you put some hair product in. Yeah, that's he's, exactly what I'm He's clearing out his lungs. Well, he's, he's pumping his muscles. He'll be like Rick's. And- I go up there, I go, me, 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 me. No. <laughs> anyway, so with that. I think it's now time for us to to leave you alone and to go off on uh, into your life and uh, and have another great week. And we hope that you have a great weekend. And we're going to be back again here next week, God willing, for episode 306. And uh, But before we go, let us tell you a little bit about how you can learn more about the show if you're new. Uh, the Airline Pilot Guy website is airlinepilotguy.com, and there you can find out information about the crew, the community, which is the best part of all this is the community. you got to get involved, uh, and there are a couple different ways you can do that, and you'll hear about that here soon. 
um, learn about the coffee fund merchandise, uh, watch the show live, all kinds of stuff. You can listen to the, sh- the podcast right there from the site if you'd like. Um, also information about how to get your own uh, APG app or airline pilot guy app on your iOS or Android device and social media. We'll have uh, our HR representative, uh, Dr. Steph, tell you about that. You can head over to Twitter using the handle at APG crew. Find all of us there. Uh, we will chat with you there, answer your feedback. Well, not answer your feedback, but short questions, 280 characters. Now I think Twitter's up to so slightly longer than before. Uh, you can also head over to Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Uh, there you can find more information about the community, interact with other community members, uh, post interesting articles that you may find, uh, would be of interest to others in the community as well. And I think that sums it up for social media. No, not quite. There's another not little quite. social media piece <laughs> oh, called yes. Slack. If, you, if you're a slacker, you want to sign up on the APG Slack, and you can do that. Well, let me tell you, Hillel's the guy that uh, started it and manages it, manages it, and it would be best for him to tell you all about it. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel, as always. And um, until next time, Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care. God bless. Cheers, y'all. Happy New Year. Bye, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy, healthy, and safe New Year to everybody. Good day. Mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the
participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard, on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. It ain't Boeing, I ain't going.